coach, I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. What it do? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast. I am your host, Matt Williams, uh, and we are back here today talking about service time, everybody's favorite topic, Uh, but it's actually incredibly important going into the 2020 season. We don't know when it's going to start. We know that there's been an agreement between the uh, MLB and the MLB Players Association in regards to service time and in regards to how long the season goes, like a give and take. So we're going to dive in and tell you exactly what that means for prospects and rookies in regards to 2020 only because obviously dynasty is a long view we're talking this year only uh so with us as always is mr john l from uh mlb moving averages welcome back to the show like always buddy what's up turn two baby turn two (laughs) as a professional motor mouth i'm excited to do a little more listening today because i'm really interested you know, in service time and how it works, how it might affect these guys, and then even more so to prospects. Another bit of a specialty that is not my own, and I look to people like the guy we have here today. I'm super excited to have Ray with us, man. Yeah, and like you just said, uh, our very special guest today from Prospects 365, Mr. Prospects 365, Ray Butler. Welcome to the show. It's just on your show. Welcome to our home. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, the Turn 2 podcast is one of my favorite pods, so I appreciate y'all having me on. Definitely. You guys were joking uh, before the show. You're from Tennessee and uh, and John is obviously from like the heart of New York. <laughs> so you you two have a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a uh, accent off going here today. I love yeah, this. That- this is like blue versus gray in the 21st century, man. The ebbs and flows of the accents from this episode are going to throw people way off and it's going to be oh. spectacular. I, I want to know if uh- – over under two and a half people say that we needed subtitles. <laughs> and I'm in the middle just boring. <laughs> no way, man. You, you know, it's funny. That does kind of fit the Matt Williams moniker, right? Like you always joke about, you know, it's, it's, you had to put the sevens to make it easier to find you. <laughs> accent is you're in the middle. But that's cool, man. That's cool. We need a I little visit, I visit friends in the South. Someone told me, quote, you talk like people on TV do. <laughs> that's an amazing compliment. I'm know? like, okay. Midwest. So they have a very clear, you know, concise cadence. It's really a compliment. From what I understand, this is a little bit of weird of a, you know, factoid. I believe that is a Kansas City accent in air quotes, the one that uh, news networks aim for. Ah, well, whatever it is, I guess I've nailed it. Uh, So getting into the topic of today's show. um, So. For everyone who doesn't know, they, uh, you know, I mean, if you're a baseball fan, you know this already. There was a deal in place. MLB wants to get as many games as is humanly, humanly possible. But in the uh, the agreement with the Players Association, you can only play like 13 games in 14 days. And there's certain things that prevent them from maybe getting in as many games as they want. So in in in, in general, uh, to get the green light from the Players Association to allow them to get in more games – the MLB actually gave in on service time. So basically that there's two main things. Um, if there is no season, which that would be awful, 
anyone who had service time last year, you'd pretty much be, uh, it would, it would be doubled. Essentially you would get what you got last year would be added onto your service time. If there's a season, regardless of when it starts, you are awarded a full year of service time, no matter what. Uh, there's uh, in, in regards to prospects, which is what we're talking about today, that means the Super 2 deadline does not exist this year. Uh, if you are up on July 1st, you get a full year of service time. If you are up on August 1st, you get a full year of service time. So that means we're going to break down division by division. Uh, rookies and uh, prospects and what this means to their teams, because this is definitely a team by team basis thing now, because you have to make that decision. Like it's already July. It's a short, let's just assume they start July 1st because that's the rumor floating around that they're going to attempt to try to do it. But for the sake of the show, we're going to say July 1st. Um, you have a shortened season. So you have to decide whether you're going to go for it and give your, you know, your prospect an entire year of service time. Or if you're a team that is not going to be in it, do you just, you know, don't bring them up at all and you wait until next year and, you know, wait until June of next year, even further um, making prospects wait. So uh, before we actually get into the division by division, uh, hearing that to, uh, I guess, starting with you, Ray, uh, what do you think about that in general? Because, I mean, I talked, I reached out to Jeff Passan. I've reached out to Ken Rosenthal. I tried to get as much information and it seems clear that this is at least the understanding right now. Nothing's written in stone, but what I just explained seems to be the popular opinion of how it'll go. So, one thing that uh, – one of the very first things I thought of hearing that information, not only from you but from other sources as well, and this has been brought up widely on Twitter, has been the fact that if for some reason there is no season, which would be, as you said, completely awful, that would mean that Mookie Betts will never play a game for the Dodgers before hitting free agency. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the most uh, intriguing – kind of eye-opening things for me. Now, as far as prospects go, that is extremely important news because we've seen year in and year out, teams will hold their MLB-ready prospects in the minor leagues for the first either few weeks of the season to avoid uh, the Super 2 or the first couple of months of the season, hold them in AAA to gain a full year of service time on that prospect. And that perhaps is not going to exist this year with the shortened season and kind of the altered rules. So there's a whole lot to digest and it is going to have kind of a gigantic effect on prospects across the board. Yeah, just, I mean, we'll get into them eventually. I'm going to start with the NL East because I always do because I'm selfish, but um, like for example, Detroit, Detroit Tigers, no offense, Tigers fans, uh, you know, Paul Spohr included, uh, you know, you, you know that you're not going to be competing this year, but you are looking forward to seeing Casey Mize, Matt Manning. Uh, so not only does it seem like there's maybe a decent chance they don't come up this year, but maybe you don't even see them until June of next year because of this, because there's no incentive to kind of give them that extra time. Uh, so that's kind of what we're talking about, but uh, let's start with the NL East. We'll kind of, we don't have to go team by team, but we'll kind of go like, what kind of stands out and we don't necessarily have to definitely stick to prospects. We can, we can mention anything that is interesting from a standpoint of service time and my Mets. Oh my God, are we screwed? Um, <laughs> you have teams like, you know, the white Sox. they give Luis Ro- Ro- uh, Robert that contract before he comes up. Uh, a lot of people have been doing that recently, you know? Uh, so obviously there's nothing to worry about there. The Mets are one of the few teams that uh, just 
promoted their big prospect, Pete Alonso, day one last year, opening day, didn't have a contract, didn't care about Super 2. And then all of a sudden, if there's like no season, you're almost looking like uh, giving this, a really rushing ahead and giving this guy this entire extra year of service time. Obviously, from a prospect perspective, we already know he's up. Uh, if there's no if there's no season, he gets a year. If there is a season, he gets a year. But um, like you were saying with uh, Ray, you were saying with uh, Mookie Betts, I mean, it's Marcus Stroman, one year gone. I mean, there's a lot of things that uh, – well, the Mets are one of those few teams that are going to be really hurt by this, but obviously they don't really have any prospects. Um, but in terms of prospects, what, what jumps out to you guys? I mean, let's go to uh, the Atlanta Braves. They have quite a few interesting guys in Ian Anderson, Christian Posh, uh, Drew Waters. Uh, I would assume we see none of these guys this year. All right. I guess uh, I'm just like sitting here, you know, I'm always a really a process kind of driven guy. I get we're talking team to team, but you know, I'm trying to get a hold on, exactly how I'm going to make these decisions. The two of you guys really circled the most important thing for me, and it's so important and, you know, pertinent. I, I don't think it can be displaced. And, and I think what we will see is I'm, – I'm trying to put this properly. Like, I would say an accelerated version of whatever plan was in place. So if a team was going to compete and we thought, we thought they would see guys – then you will definitely see them, I think, right off the bat. And well, the- well, that is a good example, though. I think they're obviously competing, but I, I'm of the opinion Anderson and Posh don't see the field. Well, I don't think – well, hold on. I don't think our expectation was that these guys were going to come up and produce. They have a stacked team that's competing, you know, so therefore if they needed a slot, I believe we would see those guys. So now what I'm saying is I think that – stays in place, but accelerated, meaning at the very first sign of replacement, I think you might see them. Um, and at really, regardless of the time of year, a team like the Braves, I don't see them getting cute at the end of the year and, you know, skipping on having a, an impact player. But, you know, they didn't have Anderson in the opening. You know, he really wasn't in anybody's plans before, let's say, summertime. So I don't think you could see him. Same with Posh. I just don't think that you see those guys. Yeah. Uh, Ray, what do you think? Yeah. Both Christian Pache and Ian Anderson, having watched both of them a few times last year in person, neither of them struck me as prospects who were going to be ready to contribute at the MLB level uh, as far as relative to their potential goes. I've always been big on the fact that uh, Christian Pache was going to remind us of kind of Ahmed Rosario from an offensive development standpoint at the big league level. He's going to be someone – it's going to be kind of a slow burn for him. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a few seasons before we really begin to see his true talent offensive standpoint. He's going to swing at a lot of bad pitches. He's going to hit a lot of pitchers' pitches. He is someone who kind of stuck out to me as someone who the Braves could have promoted had we seen an injury to Ender Enciarte. If for some reason, uh, you know, a Marcelo Zuna or a Nick Markakis or anybody in that outfield rotation depth got hurt or underperformed. Uh, Pache was going to be the guy to kind of get that first nod, especially over someone uh, like Drew Waters, who is extremely aggressive at the plate and is even less ready uh, to contribute at the MLB level. Ian Anderson kind of on the same page is exactly what y'all are saying. I don't I'm not completely sold that he's just so so much better than a Kyle Wright right. who was in the Braves uh competition for that fifth slot with Felix Hernandez. Mm-hmm. So 
keeping in mind what we've been talking about as far as no matter when you get promoted and make your debut, you get a full season of service time. I really do think – I kind of side a little bit more with Matt here. I think other than an emergency injury or just a extreme lack of performance, I don't know if the Braves are going to pull that trigger to call up Pache, especially when this season, especially he was only going – or not not only, but he was mainly going to contribute with your defensive value in center field more so than on offense. Yeah, there's a big difference between being a good team like Atlanta, bringing a guy up after Super 2, and being able to use him even sparingly throughout an entire season. But yeah, if you if you can't bring him up in August, if he's going to get a full season, I mean, it's it's it literally almost crosses them. And like, like you said, unless it's an emergency, it kind of crosses them off your – options list to yeah. a degree. And, and believe me when I say that Pache and Drew Waters, they can both use more at-bats in AAA. However many mm-hmm. at-bats you want to give them, I promise you they can use that for their development. Ian Anderson might be the most MLB ready out of the three, uh, but the Braves have so much starting pitcher depth. They were even stretching out Tukey Toussaint to start. He was going to start in Gwinnett. Mm-hmm. You've also got someone like Bryce Wilson. I know – Felix Hernandez, there's not a lot of expectations there, but he had looked pretty decent in spring training too. He was thought of as the favorite to land that fifth starter slot. You have Sean Newcomb, who was also being stretched out to start. He was going to be their fourth starter. Now you push the regular season back a few months, and now Cole, Cole Hamels should be 100% ready as well. Uh, and for you know, for anyone listening, hey, why'd we start with these teams? Uh, we're doing it division by division. There's obviously some players that this this uh, is is more important to discuss, but you know, we're going division by division. And this stuff, although this stuff isn't written in stone, like I said, I talked to a lot of people that are in the know, and it seems like this is it. So at home, you may be thinking, well, that makes no sense. You bring a guy up September first, he's going to get a full year. Yeah, it's it, this isn't a normal season. So as it's written right now, it seems like that is the case, and it's important definitely to know for fantasy baseball because you know if a guy literally probably has no chance it really shifts things around uh staying in the division the phillies have a couple of very interesting people in spencer howard and alex Baum, who a lot of people thought it had a shot to maybe crack the opening day uh roster as the third baseman um so what do we think of these guys obviously howard is the more interesting of the two uh as he seems like a guy that definitely could have been brought up but uh i mean there's there is no there is no, you know, wait until Super 2, wait until, uh, you know, mid-June to see if we're kind of hanging in there and then bring up Howard if we think he can help. You, you need to make a decision immediately. And he seems like a guy that, uh, you know, is is probably going to suffer <laughs> uh, because of these new rules and that you probably, probably won't see the field, right? Yeah, okay. I mean, just in general, you know me, I mean, I, I know I'm kind of uber conservative and it's really part of my mantra really always. I have a hard time in redraft leagues even giving a lot of these guys a second thought. It's so much it's so much risk. And not only the risk, it's that the potential payoff of like the the circumstances playing out against you equal is zero. You know, where if we had six months of baseball, the chance of somebody like a Howard getting into the rotation and you know ma- making an impact. And the thing we haven't mentioned yet is you can't really just expect these guys to hit the ground running. So Kind of what Ray said, I think he brought up something that's really, really important when you're if you're kind of analyzing prospects right now and they seem to already have warts at AAA, 
those guys are going on my no draft list. Well, here, real quick to continue your point. So you continue talking on this, but imagine if this wasn't the case, like imagine you didn't get a full year. Imagine it starts on July and it just is what it is. You're getting a half a year. You're past super two. It, it, it's, it's a big difference maker because he goes from literally undraftable into the current climate to how far would he jump up if he was guaranteed to open to be opening day on the Phillies? You know what I mean? Like, even though you may not believe in him, the value difference is dramatic. Yeah. It's it's hard to, it's, it becomes almost impossible to assess price changes when you're talking about like 200 potential picks. And that's what you're talking about. You know, Howard is getting cleaned up at the very end of draft champions. You know, I shouldn't say the very end, but you know, well off redraft boards, whereas he'd be huge otherwise. And I just, you know, he might be a, a bit of a of an outlier to the point I'm making because he looks like he's ready now, you know, and so I could see spending draft capital on him. And I guess that's going to be, you know, I'm going to need so much promise that it has to offset the potential of taking a zero because that's my real fear. All right, uh, Ray, we definitely want to hit on Howard, but uh, also hitting on Alex Baum. I, yeah. think, I think Howard has a pretty decent chance of cracking that rotation. Yeah. Um, the way that the Phillies kind of move people around on their infield now, Scott Kingery is kind of projected to be their everyday second baseman. John Segura is going to be their everyday third baseman. When they made that move, that kind of told me that Alec Baum is probably not going to start the season in Philadelphia. Of course, that was before baseball was shut down. But that kind of told me that there was a little bit more leash with Baum in the minor leagues than – kind of even was my perception. I thought he was going to be someone who perhaps pushed the Super 2 limit. He was going to be up fairly early. I'm not all that sold on that now. Now, on the flip side of that coin, I think the shutdown kind of helps Spencer Howard as far as his chances of really playing a huge factor in Philadelphia this season. Now, you tell me that no matter when he's called up, he's still going to get a full year of service time it would not surprise me at all for him to kind of be their fifth starter, which would be a perfect slot for him. He was hurt for most of last season. He had some shoulder issues, so he was not fully stretched out. He has only thrown a very small sample size above high A. He kind of ended the season in double A. But you look at the Phillies' fifth starter options, and I can't explicitly say that any of those options are better than a Spencer Howard. So you kind of plug him in your fifth slot. Every team in Major League Baseball is going to need way more than five starters if you are believing kind of the format that we've been given, that there are going to be a lot of double headers, that there are not going to be a lot of off days. So Howard can slot in a rotation that is commonly going to see six or seven starting pitchers every two weeks. So he's getting that extended rest. You're not really forcing his workload to expand past what you originally hoped that it would be. And he also has a chance to impact a rotation and a team in an organization that should want to either compete for the NL East, that's based on their payroll, or at minimum compete for one of the two NL wildcard slots. Definitely a great point with the uh... – I, you know, the fact that their teams are going to need many starters because of the accelerated, we, we would assume extra, you know, the, instead of having Monday and Thursday off, you'll probably only get one of those, maybe a double header here or there. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think the Phillies are definitely one of the more interesting teams that we're talking about because it's one of those teams that are going to be put to a decision, right? 
uh, whether um, do we really want to monkey with our our prospects uh, to to get them in? Like, do you think in a shortened season we stand a better chance, or is it just a hodgepodge and we're just kind of giving away service time? But I like the points you made, and it definitely made like you said. Uh, I think there's no way that if they're being honest with themselves, they can write down what their their assets on paper and not come away with the fact that Spencer Howard gives them the best chance to compete. Obviously. Right. And correct, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Real Muto is an unrestricted free agent after this season, correct? Yes, he will be gone. <laughs> so you you don't know for sure if you're going to have real real Muto after this season. You're yeah. still paying Bryce Harper a ridiculous amount of money. You've still got Aaron Nola. For, for me, I would be extremely perplexed if the Phillies took their foot off the pedal and kind of said, well, we don't want to give up a, an extra year of service time to Baum or to Howard. Let's play for next season. To me, that doesn't make a ton of sense. No, I agree with you. Actually, um, I agree with that. Uh, the only one left in the the only other prospect that I can tell in this division that maybe would have had a good shot of showing up was Sixto Sanchez. He was still uh, in Double A. He's someone that with a fast start maybe could have seen the field like mid twenty twenty. So he's completely out the window now. Uh, you know, I mean, you'd have to be in a pretty deep league to have rostered him anyway. But anyone considering like any, you know, him maybe being a waiver wire guy, he's on your watch list. Sixto has no chance of showing up. Does anyone disagree with that? No, I think that you know they already have all their young guys up. Yeah, I mean, I, in a full season, I think he could have he could have made some noise and, and came up. But yeah, I'll be kind of I'll be not not uh, not with six toe, but I will be interested to see how they handle a guy like Monty Harrison, mm-hmm. who is extremely. He's got some very very loud tools. He can hit for a lot of power, and did he well, has did well in spring. Did well yeah, in spring. he had a really good spring training. Uh, I was under the impression that he was going to play or have the opportunity to play a pretty significant role on that team this season, it, just not from opening day. So now when you kind of have the new restrictions as far as no matter when you call a prospect up, they're going to get a full year of service time. I'm really in inter- Of course, the Marlins aren't going to be competing in the NL East or in the National League in general. I will be interested to see how they decide to handle him. My guess is, I mean, I would think if they really did the numbers, it makes sense to just keep him down, right? Yeah, I think especially in their especially in their their predicament, right? Yeah, well, he's got he's got talent in front of him too. I mean, you know, that's as much as we like, you know, any of these guys. And I didn't want to chime back in on Howard and keep going, but we know somebody we left out. Howard uh, is Pavetta, right? So I think we have to kind of construct all the hurdles before you know where putting these guys in the majors. So Harrison, as much as I like Harrison, he was getting some shine, you know, he would have to skip Cooper and birdie. So like, I just, you know, it just becomes really tough. Now we're talking about a crunched window of opportunity as far as time goes. Plus the Marlins are not going to be competing. So there's two red flags. Plus he has guys in front of him. That's a red flag. And it's more than one. So every time I say one of those things, my shoulders slump a little bit more. And after like the third or fourth slump, I'm at zero ownership in redraft leagues. So I think in general, it's, I sound like kind of a, you know, it's a kind of a pessimistic as far as prospects go from my end. But I, I just have to say that I am because all these guys now, again, we're expecting them to just kind of, he has to check all those boxes, skip over guys. He's got to get an opportunity and he has to produce. It just feels all very rushed for me. Right. Yeah. I, don't, I don't disagree with you from a redraft standpoint. He's a zero share guy for me this year. I just kind of look at it from a developmental standpoint. If if they don't give him a chance this year, 
and which it would be fairly understandable with the new restrictions that we're talking about on the episode of this podcast. You're talking about a guy who is kind of a fringe top 100 guy who is not going to see his MLB debut until after kind of the full season deadline next year. So he's going to be like a 25 years old, six months before he sees his MLB debut. I'm just, like I said, not from a fantasy standpoint at all. He's a guy that I'm fading even in the late rounds of draft championship leagues. But I am interested to see kind of, I want to know, I want to learn more about the Marlins thought process here. Yep. Uh, Before we move on to the central, which has a couple of very interesting people in it. uh, Yeah. The reason we're talking about this again, everybody listening is you you brought up draft champions, which is perfect. When the season, when we, if we knew a July 1st start date and there's a draft champions draft going on towards there, how far I'm not talking about maybe how your personal view, but what would you guess from the public perspective? If Spencer Howard was in the rotation, done deal, he's in it. Uh, how far do you think a guy like him and like, you know, that we talked about the other day with uh, SP streamer, that area where like Jose Urquidy and Dylan Bundy right now, he's nowhere near them. I'm thinking the hype of him joining that rotation. I think he gets a lot closer to that group than possible. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know what I mean, I'm looking at the list now and you, you know, you know that um, he automatically vaults up and the best way to find it, you know, is to start asking yourself, where would you take him? And as you scroll up the list, I think that's right where it is. Right after that, right? Right in that same, right? He's at the, maybe like in between pitcher 90 and 100, right where you are. So that's like Bundy, Hauser, Josh James, Discofani. I think once you get I think, to I think people would, I think he, people would reach in front of uh, Hauser for him. I, for sure. Uh, man, I would not. Because I'm not again, saying I'm not saying everyone would. I'm talking about just ADP. Of, no, again, no, and that's, that's fine. But I think if you're at least kind of going, eh, then he probably puts him right there because yeah. then it's you know Bundy and then up a little bit, man. I don't know if you could go in front of Stroman or Arkady. That's like pitcher eighty. So you know we, we don't have to give an exact probably a team construction thing at that point. Safety right, versus right there. I think I think you have to go Stroman in front of him. I think the public would. Same with Arkady Tanaka, mm-hmm. and then I think the questions start getting asked. You know, Keller has a lot of questions. So does Bundy. So does Lucchese. So does Hauser. So I think Howard could easily slide in there, but mm-hmm. he would have to be named, you know, one of the five, in my opinion. From since St. Patrick's Day, which is March 17th, his minimum pick on NFBC is 219. Mm-hmm. So there is already some people who are trying to jump the gun a little bit. They want to be out in front on this. Yeah. Y'all nailed it. They are putting him in the same category as a Joe Musgrove, as a Jose Urquidy, as a Dylan Bundy. And once, if it were solidified that he was going to be one of the five without a shadow of a doubt, I think we see him right there in that 220 range, or perhaps we see him rise even a little bit and a little bit past or a little bit above that group of pitchers. It really begins to scare me. I've gotten a couple of shares like in the 500 range a couple of months ago, hey, which I feel looking, really good about. We if talk about team him, construction, right? If you if you have a team that uh, you uh, you feel safe about and you want to go upside. If you're if you're looking between like if you're sold on Howard and you think he'll do well if you're if you're picking between him and like Masahiro Tanaka, um, you may go Howard. I'm not you know I'm not saying I would, uh, but uh, that's definitely like I could like you just said I, I could see him skipping up really high. All right, uh, you brought up Mitch Keller a second ago, John. Uh, 
he obviously was already up last year. So, I mean, he's going to, he's going to be up this year. Uh, but you know, there's, there's a couple of prospects like him and Jesus Lazardo that uh, everyone, you know, you want to talk about, you know, innings limits and, and different things. He's obviously going to be up um, because he was up last year. There's no reason for anything to be changing there. Uh, but the only other prospect in the division that is interesting, and he's probably one of the most interesting guys, especially with the delayed season is Dylan Carlson on the Cardinals, who some people were hoping, especially Cardinals fans, that he would crack the rotation correct that outfield rotation out of spring training because really they have just one of the worst outfields offensively in, in baseball. Um, at least, you know, on paper, a lot of people think Harrison Bader could take, you know, you know, you know, bounce back. Uh, but what do we think here? I think in that division uh, out of anyone who gets their plans altered by this, I think Carlson uh, definitely stands a very good chance now of cracking the opening day outfield right off the bat. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, yeah. go ahead. I, my my blood pressure is rising as I think about this just because I'm a Cardinals fan. They have that tendency of being really loyal to their veterans and people who have kind of been around a while. Now, with these restrictions, I'm not sure if that changes it because you're really hard-pressed to make the argument that in a shortened season in which the Cardinals should either absolutely be competing in the NL Central or snagging one of the wild card slots that Dylan Carlson is not one of their three best outfielders from day one. Now, knowing the pain of prospects in the Cardinals organization, I can't confidently say that he is going to be an everyday starter just because their track record shows that that's not really how they operate. Mm -hmm. I would love for them to be aggressive. Carlson is a prospect you can be aggressive with, especially as you said, in one of the worst outfields in baseball. So I'm really hopeful that he is an everyday guy for them from day one. My Cardinals fandom kind of really makes me sigh and kind of really makes me pessimistic, but I am hopeful. I do think he is a guy they can push if they choose to go that route. Any different yeah, thoughts for, on that, John? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Man, I, it's funny because I, I like the, I really like the Cardinals. I tend to like those kind of blue collar teams, and you know I like teams that kind of show loyalty. But that's not what we're talking about, right? What I like, we're talking about how I'm kind of analyzing this. And Carlson's price is just kind of ridiculous if you ask me when you weigh all of the other factors. You know, it's a complete logjam, and he still has Tyler O'Neill in front of him. I've been waiting. Everything that Ray just said, I could have said two off-seasons ago about Jose Martinez and Tyler O'Neill that the best outfield offensive options were wasting away uh, on the bench, and they just had to – it had to happen. They were eventually going to come to grips with the fact that Fowler wasn't any good, right, and these guys were going to get some burn. And Edmund jumped them and Bader jumped them, and it's it just a mishmash for me. I mean, I'm having a hard time, you know, deciding on the fact that Tyler O'Neill doesn't out-earn Carlson in 2020 specifically, which is what we're talking about. So just with all this gray area, I'm just like a bad record on loop right now, that with all of these red flags, I just – I can't pay premiums for so much uncertainty. And I think that's always what I want to get across people. I love Carlson. I think with a dynasty, you know, if you have a dynasty league, he's a must-own. This guy is double-double, all the potential in the world. He was smoking hot in spring training, super hot commodity. All that being said – there's a chance he doesn't get a single impact this year. And if he does, he goes through some growing pains and you get nothing for him from him for what you paid. 
And it's not nothing anymore. He's not cheap because, you know, the word is out on him. But he's not even on the active roster right now. So I love I this conversation because it's not it's not math anymore. It's psychology. And the the car I mean teams have to sit down like the Cardinals are on that one of those teams that like if they think Carlson could put them over the top, you kind of have to put them on the team and they got to sit down and you're, you're talking about um, O'Neal and I'm thinking Dexter Fowler and they just got to be sitting there thinking, all right, are we going to need, if we're going to need, if we're going to need a replacement and um, he's our guy, you know, should we just do this right out of the gate or not? And, and, and like you said, there, there's a strong possibility to decide not to do that, but it's just, it's such a weird scenario that we're not going to see again, where if they, if they sit down, they're going to be like, all right, if we we think we're going to need this guy uh, at, at, for, at some point, he's our like de facto replacement that we don't think we have another person that would, if we're competing needs to take the shot, then, you know, maybe we just could put him on the team right out of the gate. So yeah, that's, we cannot, that's you know, what makes it interesting. The, the Brad Miller signing uh, a month or two ago actually hurt the Carlson prospect for me in 2020 again because what the way I saw that was that they were trying to build a really strong fourth outfield platoon between Miller and O'Neill. You know, Miller hit the left side. I, I think side. Edmund. I think Edmund. Also, you can't ignore the fact that he. There's a strong possibility he will probably need to fill in for Matt Carpenter at some point. So he's not necessarily a lock for the yeah, outfield right, as well. Right, but you can't. You know, we just don't know that. Well, no, no, but you you have to. If I think in the uh, this particular season, you have to bake that in your decision making. Yeah. Like we said, yeah, yeah. if you, you bring up Carlson August twentieth, then July first, same service time. It may it may move. You know, it may move his possibility of making the team just because they're like, all right, if, if they're not happy with their other options, it, it's it, right it rip there, the band aid right? off. I think you have right. If we're laying out uh, potential hurdles and pathways to playing time, I think, yes, it's more than fair, you know, to bring up Edmund because he covers different parts of the field. So, right, it might also be if uh, if they lost Wong, right, Edmund could play there also. So, yeah. I guess that makes those are all pathways to playing time, but it's not necessarily for Carlson. And again, man, it sometimes it can be hard enough waiting for a single injury over a full season. <laughs> I don't want to be in a position where I'm waiting for two injuries in a short season. This conversation's fun. Of anyone we covered so far, uh, Ray, who do you like so far? Of the, if you had to stash one of these guys of any of the ones we discussed so far, who do you like? Spencer Howard. Spencer Howard. Yeah, I, want, I think and you convinced me on that, to be honest. Well, I'm just I'm sitting over here like I don't I don't want to punch my laptop, but <laughs> if the like for me here's my exercise as a Cardinals fan, they they are on the hook for a bunch of money with Dexter Fowler, mm -hmm. so let's pencil him into right field every day. They still are in love with Matt Carpenter. Let's pencil him to third base every day. Mm -hmm. Now let's think about the fact that Tommy Edmond has probably earned just about every day at bats. Now, yes. you're right in saying yeah. that he is going to fill in at third base sometimes. He's probably going to fill in at second base every once in a while. If he is going to get the majority of his bats in left field, and then you factor in the fact that Tyler O'Neill only has one option left. So if he starts in AAA – then next year you're going to begin the season with him either having to be on the active roster or you have to DFA him and he's going to be picked up elsewhere. And then I'm not even, I know you're probably probably going to laugh, but the talk amongst Cardinals fans who were kind of in the know 
is that even someone like Lane Thomas was going to be kind of an obstruction for Dylan Carlson to be an everyday player. Mm-hmm. And it's just endlessly frustrating for a Cardinals fan to ha- having watched Dylan Carlson last year at the Futures game in Cleveland to know that he has so many different roadblocks that hypothetically and probably in my mind he shouldn't have just to make his MLB debut. And now you have all of these kind of service time hurdles that he's going to have to overcome this year. It just really makes me pessimistic on his outlook for 2020. Yeah, and, and like we said, the it, it would be interesting to see if anyone goes against the grain on this, but even if there is an injury and they're competing, it would be just so hard if he's in the minors to imagine them bringing a guy like him up and starting that clock. Like we said, if this is the case we've been talking about, if it's like the end of August, you'd think he's just marked off. Even if he is tearing the ball, tearing the cover off the ball, is he off limits to even bring up from a business standpoint? Or is he just like, oh my God, it would be, it, will any team bite a bullet? Carlson's obviously an upper tier prospect. So other teams will probably make this decision on maybe lower guys that, but uh, Carlson's a more interesting one. Like if the, if they have, if St. Louis has a, a big need at the end of the year, whether, you know, if he's even an option or not. So yeah, it's crazy. Uh, moving on to the uh, NL West, uh, the Dodgers, obviously Gavin Lux is on the squad. Dustin May is interesting. He obviously saw a little bit of time in the bullpen in September, uh, did pretty well. Uh, he was going to be competing for a spot. They obviously uh, moved some pieces around. Ross Stripling would have obviously, if he actually left, would have opened up another spot. Uh, so the Dodgers, a team that likes to move around the uh, injured list uh, and 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 uh, and move pitchers in and out. I would assume that he's still, the plan is for him still to be on the team regardless of where he is, bullpen or starting rotation, he's probably on the team no matter what still, right? Well, I thought I read where the Dodgers were planning on starting him in AAA. Well, before, I know, but I think before the shutdown. Doesn't, doesn't, well, I think this changes things, though. It, it probably does. I think that – Before, yeah, before the, the, the plan was to definitely, I think, start him in AAA. But I would think at this point, with the way they always alter people around, I, I would think that they would have to go ahead and just start him up. Right. I think there is – a question of just how good his stuff is relative to the other options that the Dodgers have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw, you know, he was heavy sinker. Of course, the off-speed stuff is absolutely nasty, but he didn't really miss bats with his sinker. He doesn't command his four-seam well. Uh, so I really thought that the Dodgers would really slow play him this year in a 162-game regular season. Now we probably see him kind of – be that stretched out long reliever that can also start. I think him and Tony uh, Tony Gonsolin are kind of going to have the same role. They're going to be stretched out to where they can give you four or five innings when you want to start them to give your normal five guys a rest. Uh, I think I this think, is- I think him proving himself in the bullpen helps his definitely helps his case. Um, to make the team too. In September, it was 10 scoreless innings, only five hits, 14 strikeouts out of the pen. I think that helps his case too because they know if they need him to start, he can do it. But they they already seen him be effective as a reliever. So with that sinker ball, I think I think that probably gives him a little more relief as far as like making that decision. Agree. And I, I have Tony Gonsolin as a top 100 prospect right now. I really like his stuff. I was down on him in redrafts for this season because it looked like it just seemed like he was destined for the bullpen. Now, if we're going to get a larger sample out of him, he's someone that I can target at the very, very end of drafts. Like that. Any different opinion on uh, the Dodgers, uh, John? 
I'm, I'm, I'm like having my hat off. I'm like running my fingers through my hair and like pulling it right now because it's hard enough sometimes to get behind Dodger starters in the first place, let alone once you start mixing in, you know, how they're going to handle it. Um, with the additions they made, I know this this is kind of going against a grain. I haven't heard anyone else say that. Um, that I, it looks like the Dodgers may be positioning themselves to get away from all the Dodgering that they do, right? They brought in guys that are, you know, pretty pretty solid starters now. You know, Price is an everyday guy. They're not going to be playing around with him whatsoever. And I'm, you know, barring barring injuries, of course. I think the same is for Rice and for Wood. So I don't think I don't think we're going to get any of that kind of mixing, matching, weird benching. I don't think that's going to happen. If we do, listen, Gonsolin is the guy on the roster, so that's where I'm going first. I love. Dustin May, and I think people should take advantage of him if his price becomes suppressed in any kind of keeper or dynasty league, because I think he's like a future ace type guy. But for this year, man, I don't even know. Who knows what they're even looking to do with Jimmy Nelson? It feels like they're going to – feels like if he can get right, they're going to make sure he gets the rock and Stripling is still kind of hanging around there. I just I'm a wet blanket on all these prospects. It's hard for me to get behind. The thing is, like most of the guys you brought up are a huge injury risk. So I think that I think that does help uh, Dustin May's no, possibility. And, and you're absolutely right. But how many? Okay, so how many things have to happen to get May in? Oh, and by the way, we talked about uh, we talked about there being maybe six or seven starters. I definitely wouldn't rule out the possibility of there being extended roster sizes for sure because of it. See, I'm not. You know, I'm not sure if the math. I guess listen, we're, we're kind of because they're not they're not going to they're not going to want to have te teams are not going to want to shuttle people back and forth to the minors and use options. So that's why I assume they know people will need extra pitchers. So I'd assume they're going to afford extra roster spots. That's an assumption by me. I've seen it mentioned, but I think it makes sense. No, but I'm not sure. See, I want to push back on the assumption just based on the hypotheticals. Remember, I don't know anything more than you know. All that I do know is that if we work off the models that we've been presented, you know where they are going to try and start, let's say, even July 1st for 100 games. If you play all of July, all of September, all of October, uh, all of September, even into October, that doesn't create a crazy schedule crunch. Because I, I, I was working off 25 games a month, and we know it'll probably be more like, even if they go 13 out of the 14, and with the extra days, you know, you could get 27 or 28 games in a month. True. <laughs> well, here, let's not dive too far down that rabbit hole because we don't know how the right, how the right. construction of the we know we know this about the service time. So let's stick to that. We don't know how yeah, you're right, you're right. work. I think so. I think what's important though is not to think that they're gonna try and fit 162 games in. You know, make your assumption and then work off that, but kind of look at the calendar and see you might find out that it's not a seven-man rotation, is what I'm saying. Yep. Uh, before moving on to the, the Padres, who are full of interesting possibilities, uh, real quick, Brennan Rogers, he's screwed, right? <laughs> Does he see the field this year, anybody? No, that's come on. The Rockies have enough issues with. He might have been screwed anyway, to be honest. So yeah, well, that's, I think, yeah, I think that's really how I should have started is it wasn't the rosiest outlook to begin with. And man, they're confusing enough. And, you know, listen, they've got a lot of talent too. A guy like Hilliard could kind of cement himself. Tapia, you know, Tapia had a monster spring. Yeah, I like him all. I like him also, and Hampson. It's right. So I mean, the the Rockies right now probably have the most stacked projected bench on roster resource. Having Hampson, Desmond, and Tapia. Okay, I'm not crazy about Desmond, but those three guys are all viable players and pretty good. So I, I don't think I could go reach outside of that. Yep. Um, Ray, talk to me about the Padres. 
Uh, we obviously know that what they did with Chris Paddock last year, there was whispers that they were going to give Mackenzie Gore a shot to make the rotation. Most people were doubting it. I wasn't only because we saw what they did with Paddock, uh, but with this, uh, you know, you got Gore, Patino, not quite as ready, and they obviously have a stacked uh, group in the minor leagues in general. What do you expect the Padres to do in this shortened season? Well, this is probably what the team that I'm most passionate about as far as how they should handle 2020. Now, I don't have any new inside information. I do know that uh, based on everything I heard, their plan was to keep McGinsey Gore in AAA uh, just for a couple of weeks. They wanted to give him a shot with the, the Major League ball throwing in actual games in AAA. They wanted to clear to make sure that he was not going to accrue a full uh, service year before they called him up. Uh, then they were going to probably give him the nod in probably late April, early May, and he was going to be in their rotation for the rest of the season. The Padres should desperately want to compete in 2020. That's where my argument starts. And if I am correct, and if you can get behind the fact that the Padres can be legit contenders for one of the two wildcard slots, then in my opinion, there's no reason for McKenzie Gore to not play a huge role in that rotation this season. He is the best pitching prospect in the minor leagues, in my opinion, and in most people's opinion. He's a little bit of a different prospect than Chris Paddock was. I think you can make the argument that you know Paddock was quote-unquote more ready for the opportunity that he was given last season. But my bold take, and I'm going to stick by this on this podcast, if Mackenzie Gore breaks camp with the Padres and he is in the rotation for the entirety of the shortened 2020 season, there is a non-zero chance that he is more valuable in redrafts than Jesus Lazardo. I completely agree with that. I mean, I know it's spring training, but – we saw him dominate big league hitters, and I mean dominate, which I love the Padres. Chris Paddock, Denilson Lamette, and Mackenzie Gore, and uh, with no innings limit, yes. <laughs> Let's see it. I'll be rooting for him. I'm not – I mean, I'm not saying it's likely or – I mean, it is It is unlikely to happen no, I can that, see it. that no, Gore out-earns Lazardo, But I do think that a lot of redraft people are underestimating just how good Gore is. He's never going to be a guy that is going to overwhelm you from like a spin rate standpoint, but he, he has elite pitch ability. He has elite polish from a prep prospect that hasn't been a professional for very long. He has a deep arsenal that can attack right-handed hitters and left-handed hitters. Uh, I think that he would seize the opportunity if the Padres choose to go that route. You're already paying Manny Machado buku, bu- uh, bu- buku bucks. You're already paying Eric Hosmer for God knows why. Why not try and seize that second wildcard slot in the National League and Mackenzie Gore can be a guy that can put you over the top in that race? Yep. Man, he's really interesting. I, I You can't help but wonder if, you know, if the Padres had the information that they had today about the service time, I don't think they would have brought in Zach Davies. Because right when you compare them apples to apples, there's probably a pretty good chance that Gore, you know, would take a spot from Davies. But they did just kind of bring him in and pay him. He's serviceable, but I, I wonder how that plays out. This is a really, really interesting one. If you are the type to believe the talent will play out, 
given the service time argument where they were planning on getting anyway, and I mentioned much earlier, to expect an accelerated version of prior plans. So they thought they were going to kind of get him up. I, I think he's going to be in the opening rotation. Right now it's just a question of whether it's going to be five or six people in my mind. I wonder if they would just turn around and tell Davies he's even number six of the long guy because I totally agree with Ray. Man, they have everything that you need to compete right now. They're, all the pieces are in place from top to bottom. The lineup is rehashed. They brought in some, some youth, strong pitching. And the second year from Paddock, I'm expecting him to be excellent. Man, and if Garrett Richards, you know, that staff also may go as Garrett Richards goes, right? As long as he's healthy, he's always been really good. If he goes down, and that's certainly Gore's spot, it's probably a safe assumption. You got to love him. He's going to fly up boards, man. You definitely want to get hands on Gore. Where where do we assume he, assuming he just, he's starting on the, uh, he's starting in the rotation there. Where would you put him as far as value, like as far as other pitchers? Where? Would you take him around right now? Well, he's going where Howard is going for sure. I think that's a starting point. I think he goes way above that. I mean, well, I, 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 I assume yeah, I, he, he makes a dramatic jump above that. I know what you want. I know what you're saying. I understand. I totally understand what you're saying because you feel like there's a disparity between the two. Yes. You can't just say like, oh, he's he's all of a sudden, you know, Lance Lynn, you know what I mean? Or or something like that. Or Not, you know, we go in. I, I like to do the picture scroll, right? Max Fried is at 47. You can't go above him. You know, Kyle Hendricks, 55, can't go above him. I think I'd take him above Lance McCullers. Okay, man, then that's really interesting because I think that's a player, a, a, a fantasy GM to fantasy GM thing because that probably has to do with your perception of McCullers' endurance and not his efficacy on a permanent base. Well, i take him above Sean Manea, Mike Miner. How about that? Okay, fine. Where is that? So that's – you have him in like the mid-60s, like pitcher 65 behind – Maeda, I'm with that. I'm taking Maeda first. Me too. And I think I, yeah, I guess. I mean, then it's that it's that blob we spoke about with uh, SP Streamer, Matt, where like if it's Heaney, Faulty, Stroman, or Keedy, yeah, I guess you could put Gore in front in front of those guys. I don't know if I'd actually take him there. By the way, it always depends on roster construction and depending on if you want to go for ceiling and floor, and it depends on what you're looking for. But um, th that was me more at least more speaking from an excited standpoint. I think that's the but area he ends up in, though. Though for sure, I think that is close. I think he is a big bump against that other group we were talking about. I think he's a I think he's a couple tiers above as far as where the excitement and hype will will drive his average draft position. Yeah, I think – I mean, I speak from a – not a biased standpoint, but Mackenzie Gore is a player that I have five redraft shares in. Most of those are in uh, draft championship formats. I think I've got – had one in an auction, uh, stuff like that. So I am beating the Mackenzie Gore drum. I think that he is a perfect candidate to kind of expand that Padres rotation to six guys. Garrett Richards doesn't exactly have – the longest track record of durability and good health. Uh, Joey Lucchese was really underwhelming during spring spring training. So, you know, you even have a guy like a Cal Quantrill uh, who was destined to kind of be their wrong, long reliever who might be kind of bumped up along with Gore if there were an injury. You've got guys in the minors who have MLB experience. I know, I believe they were stretching out Mikhail Baez to start again, Adrian Morhan. They have options. I just – I don't think – I think the Padres should be competing, and if you're competing in a shortened season with an increased importance of each individual game, then there's no reason for you to ever field an unoptimized lineup or starting rotation. 
And if the Padres agree with me, then that means that McKenzie Gore has to play a huge role in their plans for a shortened 2020 season. Yeah, uh, that, that kind of finishes up the National League. Um, moving over to the American League, right at the top, the New York Yankees. Uh, the, the, the interesting guy there is Davey Garcia, right? Because uh, Luis Severino goes down with Tommy John surgery. Then uh, obviously John, you know, Paxton had his back injury. He will be back though, but Luis Severino is still out. That doesn't obviously, so his chances of being immediately needed are gone. Um, usually people thought that maybe he'd be a relief role, but you know, he has electric stuff, electric stuff that could even make him a two starter. That's how good he could be down the line. Uh, but what are we thinking as far as this weird injury shortened season where the Yankees are obviously going for it? Uh, maybe Stanton and judge, uh, everyone will be kind of healed up by then the, uh, the Red Sox are, you know, not at their strongest, uh, and they can kind of put their foot on the gas. Is this a guy that we think has a good shot of making that team, uh, from the get-go, because it definitely looks like if there's any kind of slip-up, he would definitely be someone that they'd want to utilize um, down the stretch. So he he's definitely one of the more interesting people I'd be keeping a look on for a shortened season. Take it away, Yankees fan. Yeah, come on. You know, this is my squad, man. And I thought, I thought the injury situation really couldn't get any worse after last year. And this was just based on, like, hope and luck and probability that it couldn't have repeated. And it seems to be following them again. Uh, man, you know, I was I was really big on Garcia, you know, for all the right reasons, kind of what you're saying, especially you get him so late with a potential payoff that's just tremendous. However, uh, watching the Yankees very closely and, of course, always being kind of inundated with their news here, they're really into Jonathan Luis uh, Luis And I think it's his spot first. And, again, what I was saying about hurdles, it's also not even his spot right now because Paxton should be back and Montgomery has looked really good. And he's also somebody that they like. So if you're operating under my, you know, analysis here, that makes Luis Diga the six and Garcia, the seven. So I think his real value is in kind of drafting them together. You know, like if you were going to try and capitalize on the fifth Yankee spot by drafting, you know, two or even three of those guys, depending on the depth of your league, knowing that you could toss the other two. Like, I think that's a totally viable strategy because between Montgomery, Garcia, and Luis Siga, you get them all ridiculously late. And the context is fantastic as far as wins goes are all very talented uh, pitchers. And then you, know, you just maybe have to keep an eye out on some ballpark stuff. What do you think, Ray? So... John nailed it. I think that I I really like what we've seen from Jordan Montgomery this spring training. I hope he's able to carry that over to the summer. I do think if there is another injury that uh, Davey Garcia is going to perhaps be that first guy. But as John said, the Yankees seem to also be really high on Jonathan Loisaga, Johnny Lasagna. That was the best way to put it. That's it, Loisaga. Garcia is really unique. He's a short – I mean, he's he's – a small pitcher. He's kind of like the opposite of Chris sale. Chris sale starts on the left side of the mound and falls off to the left side. And it, it presents a really, really weird look for hitters. Garcia is the opposite. He starts on the right side of the rubber. He falls off to the right side and it is, it allows him, it allows his fastball to really get in on left-handed hitters while also being extremely weird, a weird look for right-handed hitters. He struggled with command some in the minor leagues. I think my, you know, 
based on how I think the Yankees kind of prioritize these guys, Loisega would probably be the first guy up. Then we probably see a Davey Garcia, whether that is in kind of a long relief role. His frame kind of speaks to he might be best optimized or best utilized in that three to four inning relief role, almost like an opener as a sense. Then you go down one more tier. There was talk with Paxton being out, Severino needing Tommy John, that Clark Schmidt was even going to be kind of an option for them, uh, especially early in the season. He's a guy that kind of has a similar path to a Spencer Howard. The Yankees have kind of slow played his development in the minor leagues because he had Tommy John his draft year. Uh, but he's a guy who really came along in the Florida State League in high A and then in the Eastern League at the end of last season. If the season had started on time, I think Schmidt was going to probably play a role in that rotation early during the season as the Yankees kind of bided their time to wait for James Paxson to come back. Now that Paxson is going to be healthy, Montgomery is going to slot into the end of that rotation. I think Schmidt becomes a guy who we probably don't see until next season, especially with the service time regulations that we talked about at the at the start of this episode. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing we kind of hit on throughout the entire episode that we didn't explicitly explain uh, is – well, I can use Devi Garcia as a perfect example. I think he makes the Yankees out of the gate. From a fantasy baseball perspective, I want no part of him because, like you said, sure, he could start, but he's probably going to be in the bullpen a lot. And especially in a shortened season, you need people that are going to pitch and they're people that are going to start, which makes boring people like Danny Duffy still fantastic because he's going to start. He's so there, boom. <laughs> I, I got to sneak him in. No, but so even though why uh, exciting people like this maybe have a better shot of making the team because of the weird rules, um, it doesn't mean that they're going to be helpful from a fantasy standpoint because we don't, you know, he even he's there, the chances of him starting on a regular basis, the you know, aren't there at least today. Um, well, yeah, the last thing too on them is, yeah. you know, we've been talking team to team. And again, this is something I see firsthand all the time. It's so incredibly frustrating. The Yankees don't do that. They just don't really bring up young guys and let them mature in the minor leagues. I mean, they they have frontline prospects. They tend to wither in the minor leagues and then just get traded. This year's a little down. this year's a little different for everybody though. Yeah, yeah, I know you're right, but I mean, I'm just going off off the history. You know, I was so into Chance Adams and it was like he he's going to come up and the Yankees would even get injuries, he'd get passed over and then he got shipped. Then it was Justin Sheffield. Cannot wait to get Justin Sheffield up in pinstripes. We can't wait. And he got kind of suppressed. He had a cup of coffee that wasn't very good, but who cares? And then, boom, he gets shipped off for right now talent. And my fear with these guys, again, in redraft leagues, I, I know you did point out that their value does take a ding. It's just that, that the Yankees kind of like to polish their commodities and then maybe trade them off before anybody gets to see if there's something wrong with them. It's just how they seem to operate. Yeah. All right. I kind of hinted that maybe the Yankees could theoretically do something different than they normally do because this is different. If there is any team in the league that I would be excited to see change up their 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 uh, you know their organizational view and see blood in the water and go for it is the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, not that you want to pump them up as a Yankees. What fan, more could they do? I feel like this is like they're like the best team. I mean, like organization wise, they are just to be admired. What? What? Oh, they, they are for sure. But I'm just wondering. I, they probably stick to their guns. Wander Franco is probably screwed <laughs> this year. But I mean, with the Yankees being banged up, and we, you know, you could, you know, educated guess they're probably going to be banged up again at some point this season. The Red Sox are on the ropes a little bit. You know, yep. they're hurt. 
the Rays could see an opportunity here to go for it. I mean, Brandon McKay's probably because of the need for extra pitching. He probably was going to start maybe in the triple a. He, he probably has a spot now, but in Brujan, a lot of people thought he'd be like end of 2020. He's not even in the plans anymore. Is there any chance that they're aggressive? Does, do you guys think there's any chance that they're aggressive with prospects or do you think it's like, Oh no, 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 we're not going to risk this. This is too, this is too weird of a situation. We're going to sit back, but well, I would, I would really love to see them go for the throw. I would love to see it. One, uh, a very common myth that I've had to debunk in the prospect world the past few months. And I'm sure I will have to do it even more prior to whenever baseball revs back up again. Willie Adamas does not suck. He is an <laughs> extremely good defensive shortstop. He was a multi-win player last year. Mm-hmm. So if the Rays were not getting very much production out of their shortstop right now, then I think I'd be pedal to the metal uh, kind of step on the neck, let's go ahead and be aggressive with Wander Franco, and he would start a shortstop out of the gate. Adamus is good enough defensively, and he's passable offensively. He's not a complete black hole offensively. He's someone that is kind of the, the back end of the middle infield or even in 15-20 team redrafts, even the back end of a shortstop in redraft leagues. I think he's good enough to where uh, the Rays can be – a their typical conservative self. Franco doesn't, he doesn't even have that much of a sample size at, uh, I don't, he hadn't really played much above high. He is everything that the baseball world assumes and thinks that he's going to be. But I do think he could use one more year in double A, then triple A, getting that seasoning, continuing the defensive skills, uh, and the progression there. And then I think we really see him take off next season. I completely agree, but that's boring. It is boring. <laughs> and it's the race. No, I agree. With, I agree. I agree. I completely agree. Let, um, Brendan McKay, who's the, probably the only guy who realistically of their prospect group that's good, that could make a difference in fantasy. Do we think because of maybe the need for more pitchers, is this someone who – is this make him – more interesting or less interesting because of the weird opener stuff. It looks like they were probably going to go away from that a little bit, at least as much as they were. Uh, does this make, does, does this change his value in your mind at all? Either of you for, uh, for Ben and McKay? No, so, it was pretty ahead. low before. Oh, sorry. It was pretty low. Mine's quick. It was pretty low before. It's even lower now. That's it. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to kind of go in reverse. I think the, the off season, the way that the Rays were going to handle McKay, they wanted him to get more at bats. They kind of wanted to utilize his two way uh, capabilities a little bit more. So he was going to start in triple a get regular at bats and then perhaps be a factor in mid season. Now with the necessity of you need as much pitching as possible, it wouldn't surprise me now if he played more of a role this season than I was originally anticipating. I was kind of thinking he was going to have a pretty minimal role in Tampa Bay this season, professionally at the MLB level. Now I kind of think we might see him a little bit more. Okay. I just um, can't hate trying to predict what the Rays are going to do. You know, I hope my – I guess I kind of came off so purely negative. Listen, the guy is really awesome pitcher. The, you know, I don't think the production we saw last year at all is telling of what we'll see in the future – um, and this is something I'm writing about for the athletic about the short season playing time, I believe will rule the day and McKay is not, you know, I just don't see a spot carved out for him right now. You know, the Rays are, they're always so cute with platooning and, you know, I actually, I actually would just go fall just short of guaranteeing him an opening day spot. I'm very confident he's on that team. And, and, 
Now, Matt, you know, you've kind of said this a few times, so it's possible, because, and you wouldn't be wrong. Is your assumption a six-man rotation? Because I feel you've made a lot of – you've alluded to that a few times. You know, I don't see teams putting starting pitchers on a – on a I, think, yeah, I, I think it'll be a I think in the end it'll be a slightly condensed schedule coming off of a shortened spring training. Um and there's a lot of reasons for me to think that this this would be the case. Uh so yeah, that I that's just a general assumption I'm kind of working on. But yeah, I think that they'll they'll be a they'll be a need uh, I, on that team. And, and one thing and, one thing I've heard more than anything else from the people I've reached out to is you're probably looking at about a three week rev up period, kind of like a three we condense spring training. That means that starting pitchers are not going to be nearly as stretched out as they normally are when uh, opening day comes around. Yep. So especially at the start of the season, I think for every two weeks, I'm kind of projecting either six or seven starting pitchers in each rotation. That's why I was really down. I know this is, I'm sorry, I'm kind of sidetracking. I was really down on a guy like Austin Voth, who I had been super high on because it seemed like the Nationals were going to give Joe Ross their fifth slot. Now, assuming they're going to need more starting pitching, especially since they pitched deep into the playoffs last year, Voth is a guy who I can get back behind because he's obviously going to play a notable role in that rotation. One caveat, though, I would say is uh, I don't want to tell the viewers, I don't think it'll be six-man like rotation, seven-man rotation. There'll be six or seven pitchers used. Uh, Max Scherzer's not is going to be going on five days. <laughs> you know, I mean, like uh, th th there'll be people, the six and seven people will be filling in here or there. So you, you know, that's something you have to keep in mind. We'll have to see how people are going to be used because obviously Jacob Degrom is is going to be used uh, every time through. Uh, you know, Michael Waka will be used when needed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so that that's something to kind of keep an eye on for anyone that's wheeling out a ton of pitchers as well. Just something for everyone to think about. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, they were talking about doing all sorts of interesting things. Ryan Mountcastle was seeing reps at first. He was seeing reps in the outfield. They were talking about Hunter Harvey as closer. I think none of that happens. I think Michael Givens is the biggest winner of uh, the COVID-19 experience as he actually gets to be the closer. Uh, we don't know what will happen with this trade deadline, by the way. I, I don't even have a guess um, as, as to what they're going to do there. But, yeah, I think the Orioles, if they're smart, don't even touch a single one of their prospects until next season. Uh, Sam true, I think, Maddie. And, man, I, I really like Mountcastle a lot. You know, aside the potential and the talent, I thought the pathway was there. And then, you know, I, I think the assumption is – I though I do agree, I don't think they're going to bring him up. My assumption was when they did bring him up, he was going to get full run. You know, so I like that payoff. You know, and it just doesn't look great. It's hard. It's hard to think the way that they've – had no problem overtly suppressing talent that they're going to probably just continue down that road. I, I just agree with you. What do you think, Ray? I mean, do you think, do you think they have any motivation to bother <laughs> promoting these guys? Well, it's important. And I know that y'all were not including him. Austin Hayes is technically still a prospect. Uh, sure. I do think he's going to be an everyday player for them from the get go. He's a guy I, I kind of like his I didn't, want, I didn't even want to put that out in the universe, Ray. <laughs> I have too many Austin Hayes shirts. Yes, he like he's start. a guy. I'm, I think he could bat lead off for them. He talked about he wanted to run more. He's a kind of a sneaky redraft guy for me this year. Oh, you're in the uh, right place. Love Austin Hayes. I'm jumping yeah. right in. I, I've been I've, I've been campaigning for the leadoff role forever. Yeah. For oh, yeah, you did it. Now it's catching fire. I love it. I love it. Hayes is going to be huge. Right? What a relief that he already played. 
last year, so we don't have to worry about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Mount Mountcastle, he's a guy that I thought he was going to be sneaky this summer in a full season. Now I could easily see the Orioles kind of pushing back his timeline, especially because he is very fringe defensively. It's crazy that he was drafted as a shortstop. I think that you're sleeping on Hunter Harvey a little bit, Matt. I think that he pitched at the end of last season. Uh, I think he was going to begin the season in the Orioles' bullpen regardless. Maybe they give Michael Michael Givens the closer's role, but I do think Hunter Harvey, I tend to believe he's still going to get some save opportunities at some point this summer. Yeah, I think if anything, I think he finishes with the job. That's my opinion. Because Givens, I mean, Givens was just terrible. So, I mean, there's really no reason to keep forcing the rocket. You know, they were doing it because they really had nothing else. They ended up with, you know, I think even Blyer got a save or two. Yeah, so actually, the reason I was on him was, I, I mean, I dove into him. His, his home run per nine was really off. Uh, he actually wasn't, as far as his stuff, he actually was pretty effective as far as how, how, how his stuff looked. Um, that's why I brought up the trade deadline. I would really love to know what the hell is happening with that because as far as a guy like Givens or a guy like um, who I'm thinking of, Miami, uh, Kinsler, uh, those are those are guys that had a, stood a really stood their best chance of being a closer only so their team could trade them, uh, and they don't maybe necessarily don't have that now. So yeah, I do agree with you and Ray actually that yeah I, I could I could see Hunter Harvey still doing it because if that was their plan anyway it probably shouldn't change much. But uh, yeah, I, I really would love to know what's going on with the trade deadline. I'm gonna be pissed if the Marlins don't give Kinsler their closers role because I have like. I have every Brandon Kinsler share. Oh wow! <laughs> oh, me too. He was my—he was my—he was my second cheap guy. Man, I have everybody except for him. So it's 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 it's. I have the field in this one because early, very early on, before the Marlins drafted Kinsler, I was going after Stanek, and um, then I was kind of moving towards. I was grabbing Jose Urania really late in draft champions. You know, he has a, he kind of fits that role. He's got the one really dominant pitch, and he grabbed a couple saves and looked good doing it. So when they, I don't know why when they brought in Kinsler, I thought it was to set up. Then Matt Mead, Matt kind of drove it home, and I bought in with him, and just I just stopped investing in that bullpen. But, I mean, maybe everybody wins. Maybe you're right. Maybe Kinsler starts it and then gets dealt. You know, Matt, what you're saying is not totally off the table. It still could happen. The team finds a need for a reliever with injuries, of course, you know. Yeah. Uh, moving into the central, we already talked about the Tigers at the top of the show. Um, I would assume Matt Manning and Casey Mize's season is, is over before it began because yeah, of this. Uh, do you have any difference of opinion there, Ray? I mean, I would think they're just they're toast until next year. Yeah, with the regulations that you are that we're kind of assuming based on the start of this episode, it doesn't really make. Sadly, it doesn't really make much sense for the Dodgers to give them much run at the big league level. They're not going anywhere this year. Yeah, I should say that I, I normally wouldn't bother um, correcting anyone, but it is the Tigers. If they were on the Dodgers, that would be very unfair. Wait, what did I say? You said, you said the Dodgers. Oh, my bad. Yeah, the, Tigers the Dodgers are going somewhere this year. The Tigers are not. That's The Dodgers I mean. are giving everything. They're getting home field for the World Series, and now we're just giving them then. <laughs> um, the Twins. Uh, I mean, the only one to really speak of is probably Eric Kirilov, who people were hoping maybe would have a shot at being called up midseason. I would think that has also been buried. They're they're going to be competing, um, and there's probably no reason for them. They'll definitely not need him off the bat, and by the time they would need him, there's no reason to give him extra service time. So I think Kirilov um, has you know taken a giant hit, and he probably won't see the field this year either. Yeah, agree. The only the only kind of path for him to see it 
Is Miguel Sano getting hurt? I think he's going to be their everyday first baseman. Kirilov is beginning to project more and more as a first baseman, but I don't see him getting receiving much of an opportunity, if one at all, assuming Sano stays healthy. I think Sano is going to mash this summer. I would no, actually say crazy. that even if Sano got hurt, I would think that um, I still don't know if they'd bother with that, only because I would think Garver would just see more bats at first and and uh, Ostadillo. I don't. I wanted, to ask, I wanted to ask Ray about um, Royce Lewis, right? He's somebody that I heard so much. Again, you know, you guys are a little more specialized in this than me, and that's why I listen to you guys. So, you know, but my antennas are always up. And Lewis was a guy that was getting a ton. He was getting a ton of attention and a ton of heat. And it feels like that's, I mean, completely dissipated. Like he's just not even – I, I, I don't follow all the. No, he, he won the uh, MVP award in the Arizona Fall League. They just don't have a need for him in Minnesota right now. I mean, at the, their middle infield is actually pretty set with a couple of guys that could really hit. So no, it's just a matter of him going. being really that's blocked. That's where I was going with this. Earlier on, I said that I could see teams that are really pushing for it all and they think the Twins fit that bill saying, listen, man, we're going to do what we're going to do and we got to win. So my question is. Where is the pathway, and is there one, to him to see the majors this year? Because, Matt, you're right that it's blocked, but those things change in a heartbeat. And I'm looking at roster resources. Not much in front of him besides Polanco, it looks like. So my question for Ray is, if Polanco were to go down, do you think Lewis gets skips AAA and maybe sees the bids? You do not have to be an expert in video breakdowns of players to see that uh, Royce Lewis is flawed mechanically, offensively right now. He has a super long, he's very noisy in his hands and his lower body pre-pitch. And that leads to him struggling with velocity up in the zone. I would love for him to overcome that issue. And I do think his potential would knock Jorge Polanco off of shortstop. If Lewis were to reach his potential, I don't, I'm not sure there's much of a competition, but I still think that Royce has so far to go offensively from a developmental standpoint, unless he really begins to pop once the minor league season starts in double A, I think the twins probably try to go another route just because I think Lewis still needs at least another year, unless the minor league season starts and he's kind of quieted his approach. His hands aren't nearly as noisy. He's more direct to the ball. Then I could see him kind of skipping triple A and receiving kind of an emergency promotion to see most of the time at shortstop. Right, that's what I mean. Okay, so that makes sense. Kind of watch him because, yeah, okay, so that makes a lot of sense. If he's not very good at the outset, you could probably cross him off for this year altogether. I would say even if he is good at the outset, I'd cross him off because in the end, it's still the it's still the Minnesota Twins. They need to operate under certain restrictions. Interesting. You think even even in a even in a spot of need? I mean, here's the thing: their lineup is set. I mean, it's really good. If even if a shortstop is missing, they're still tremendous. And remember, Jorge Polanco is a near 300 hitter. He's like 290 to 300 anyway. My scenario is Polanco going down. I'm looking yeah. at them, the roster resource. I'm kind of scrambling for playing time at shortstop. And Mar- I see Marvin Gonzalez. He didn't play short at all. Yeah, just I mean, I think it, that was my question. Yeah, I think because. We, he would need time in, in the minors no matter what in order to show that he has taken a step forward. Because I think if you're bringing him now, uh, I have the, so worry, I actually have the same worry about Joe Adele, who struggled mightily upon uh, upon being brought up. He's another guy I think that 
could just definitely use the rest of the year in the minor leagues in order to just take another step. Cause I think if you bring him up, you hurt him more than you help him. I just, I don't see it happening, but if he does heat up enough, then you're what you're wasting another month. And then you're given an elite prospect an entire year, bringing him up in August. I just, I don't see, I just don't see anything happening. It would have to be a really weird, perfect storm for him to be brought up because even missing shortstop they can plug in a league average guy and still be very very good on offense i just i just don't see it happening this year i don't see it either i I will say john brought up an amazing point that lewis was receiving more hype than just about anybody in the prospect world Mm -hmm. and then it kind of dissipated it went away because statistically royce lewis was not very good last year and since then i've had people in my mentions why is royce lewis still a top 10 prospect he can't hit at all well Are you basing that on the fact that you've seen him multiple times last season like most of the people in the industry did? Or are you basing that on a quick trip to Fangraphs or Baseball Reference, something like that? Uh, I think that Royce is a fantastic dynasty buy low because it's definitely a buy low right now. He has the pedigree, uh, he has the makeup, and he has all of the raw tools to really put it together. He can be an MLB star still. He just has a couple of hurdles that he needs to climb mechanically, especially offensively, to reach that. Oh, yeah, Dynasty, I love him. Because like I said, when I said the Twins have a certain thing they got to follow, what they're going to follow is they're going to trade Jorge Polanco (laughs) at some point, and then Royce Lewis is going to step in, and that's what's going to happen. But I was just talking about 2020. Uh, The rest of the division here, what do we got? The the White Sox. Uh, Lastly, Luis Robert, he signed. They don't got to worry about anything. Uh, Nick Madrigal. This is very interesting for him as someone that people were hoping would be up sooner than later. Uh, they can't do what they were going to do, which is let's see how we're competing and let's see how he comes along the first couple of months. And if he's doing okay, he'll probably be a decent upgrade over what we have at the position on opening day. But they kind of need to make that decision almost on day one. Um and it's another thing where it'd be pointless to bring him up a month into the season at this point. So starting with Magical, we'll get to Copic in a second. Uh, what do we think? Th- I think this. I think this hurts Magical. I think it helps him. I think he's going to be their opening day second baseman. All right, uh, I'd love he, to see that. <laughs> he was extremely advanced coming out of the draft a couple of years ago. I, to the dismay of White Sox fans, I've already or I've always kind of comped Magical to a faster David Fletcher from the Angels. He's not going to be someone who impresses you with power, and there were reports that he added muscle in the offseason. Well, that doesn't change the fact that his swing is not geared toward hitting for power. So I'm kind of a wait and see. You need to show me that you can hit for power before I believe in it. Uh, He is a really good defender at second base. He is going to have an impact on uh, the base pass. He's going to hit for a high average. He's He is the anti-three true outcome player. He's not going to strike out very much at all single digits. He's not going to walk very much at all single digits. He's going to hit a single digit amount of home runs. But he is advanced enough to where I'm not sure two months in the minor leagues at AAA are really going to help him. I think the White Sox, have they, their offseason moves, them signing uh, Moncada to a long-term contract, them signing Luis Robert to a long-term contract. They are geared maybe not to win the AL Central this year, but they do want to claim one of those wildcard slots. And as long as they do, then Madrigal should be their everyday second baseman from the get-go. I would love to see it because you said you you said it once, but I think that if anything is the biggest plus in his favor for them 
uh, starting him right out. It's that he's going to probably be gold glovish no matter what at his position. And that's something that's going to play in the majors no matter what. And if they bury him in the nine hole, they can afford to watch him struggle. Not that I mean, batted 331 in triple A, walked 44 times, only struck out 16. So it wouldn't shock me to see him do well out of the gate. Um, yeah, and it, this is not Jorge Polanco that he has to beat out. This is Lurie Garcia. Why is everyone hating on Jorge Polanco? <laughs> no, I'm not a compliment. That's a compliment to Jorge Polanco. <laughs> and you're like, he doesn't have to beat a Jorge Polanco. Jorge Polanco is like an all-star. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He doesn't have to beat out a Jorge Polanco to claim second base. He has right, to beat out right, Lurie right. Garcia. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> um, John, what do you uh, what do you think here? Uh, the White Sox here, who 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 theoretically. You know, with the 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 Indians being kind of snake bit at times, uh, they're going to be obviously uh, they lucked out with the you know with this shortened season as far as it helping the health of their guys. But yeah, the White Sox are probably a couple years away from being at their very best, but they could definitely be sneaky if Madrigal's ready to go. Yeah, I think. Well, I think this is the beginning of their run. Um, as far as Madrigal goes, man, his, his it's funny because all the people that overpaid. Or what I perceive as overpaying, because I've always been behind his price point. I really don't have any shares, because again, he wasn't on the roster. And I didn't know how they were going to handle him. And now, more and more smart people like Ray are saying that you know they think he might force his way in. Going back to what I was saying before, if a team thought they were going to spend that year of service, they're just going to outright do it. So there's a nice spot for him, you know, at the nine hole. So there's very little expectations, and you kind of get this guy to run. Like you guys are saying, defense always plays. He's got immense plate discipline that always plays and tends to translate from the minor leagues. It's hard to see how he doesn't uh, make his way in there. And then the new question is, hey, where do you price a guy like that? And I think all my question marks kind of have me off of any ownership. But I don't want to discourage people there, especially in Roto. There's a lot of steals to be had there. Why do you hate Nick Madrigal? <laughs> I, you know what? After we spoke to well, after we spoke to uh, Pete Christensen, he had this guy, you know, uh, winning leagues. And once that gets out, and I'm not saying Pete's wrong or anybody that believes that is wrong, but once those narratives get out, it pulls price with it. So unless you're sold on that. And again, man, I'm really I'm, I'm like a broken record today, totally. But I'm not going to pay a premium for not only question marks, but question marks in a bad lineup spot, right? Well, you, well, you said one thing. You said that um, people, teams that were going to spend the year of of um, of service time, were going to do it anyway. Some people were hoping he'd be there out of the gate in a full season. I'm not one of those people. I thought that they were going to June him. They were going to June 15th well, or whatever. And that's not the case here. But I think that fits what I'm saying. I mean, if a if a team. That's going to compete. I really should have pressed it with because not just any team, right? Because the Orioles were going to use Mount Castle most likely. Now I don't believe they will. The White Sox who were going to compete, I think going in they knew that they were going to come out of 2020 having spent a year of service time. So I don't think competitive teams will allow that to impede them, particularly in this case where they're going to compete. Man, they were already really young. <laughs> they're already really young and exciting. You know, there's. Three or four guys are only 24 years old. You know what I mean? The average age is being brought up by, you know, double E there, E5 when it's 37. But yeah, I know, I don't, I don't disagree, but I, I do want to reiterate it isn't a year of service time they begin up. They're giving up two by starting him. But instead of waiting for June and giving up one instead of two opening day, they are giving up two by putting him right in there. Obviously, the White Sox, if they feel they can, he, you have to be able to be confident that he is a chip that is going to help you so much that you're willing to give up in a complete other year of service time. Um, 
and that that is the big question, which is which is fine. I, I could see this going over way. I, I actually I I actually think they won't because I think that I don't know. That's just that's my assumption. I I think he might be one of those. Int- I'd love to see if teams are going to um, try to work out some because of this weird thing. I'd like to see if they're going to be more maybe contracts, <laughs> maybe being made with like you know not necessarily to the Luis Robert type thing. But I wonder if we'll see a lot more because they seem to be kind of a trending thing anyway, right? More and more teams are starting to. Um, you know, give these before, you know, pre-arbitration contracts and Madrigal could be an interesting guy if they are, if if any team, like we talked about any of these players, if you are going to start them early and have to give up that second year of uh, time, I'm wondering if we might see some interesting contracts come out before uh, whenever opening day is. Yeah, if, something- if they yeah. choose to go that route, I could see them making like a Scott Kingery type deal. Yeah, to where he would buy him out of his uh, pre-arbitration and arbitration years. From right. a fantasy standpoint, I've been kind of beating this drum since before Christmas, and I get pushback just about every time I make this comment. I always find myself surprised how quickly the depth at second base goes in 15-team leagues. And Madrigal strikes me as a guy, We all three of us know that you have to obsess over speed in order to hit the thresholds that make you viable in that category. Magical is a guy that if you are kind of underwhelming in stolen bases, as far as a projection standpoint goes early in the draft, he's a guy that over a 162 game regular season could be that guy who steals 20 bases or so. And that is extremely valuable if you miss out on your typical second base targets. I think you're being conservative with 20 bags also, which is, you know, it's just a good way to do your projections, right? You know, you're not, the case you're making is not to rely on him for 45, you know, but he could, he could deliver 30, I think easily. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I just think with a guy, it's better just to be conservative where he's batting in the oh, lineup yeah. and things like that. Yes. I would play. say going over the players we've gone through so far, we've been semi excited about this helping three guys in general, at least overall that we've been, I guess the most positive on that's Spencer Howard, Mackenzie Gore, and now Mick Madrigal are three guys that we think maybe see the most bump from this weird situation. Uh, correct. I don't think I left anybody out. I agree. Um, before going on in this division, I forgot one team in the alleys, the, uh, the, the blue Jays, which we got to talk about for a second. Uh, they're obviously a very young team. If they all take a step forward at the same time, they could be very dangerous. They could, you know, try to go for it for the same reason we said the Rays. Uh, could really be trying to go for it. But um, what does this mean for Nate Pearson? Uh, someone who, again, we saw just blow people away in spring training. Uh, he's either, he's not one of those people that they're going to give time and he's coming up late. He's either starting in the rotation or he's going to wait in the minors probably until next June. Uh, where do you guys come down on Pearson? I feel pretty confidently that the Blue Jays were going – they were definitely going to start him in AAA. I think they had gone on the record. Their original plan was for him to be called up during the summer. Mm -hmm. He was not stretched out too much last year. He was a guy – most of his outings were kind of three innings at a time Mm -hmm. uh, just to kind of naturally and organically limit his workload. You know, playing with these restrictions that we talked about at the start of the episode where – regardless of when you make your debut this summer, you're going to get a full year of service time. I kind of think this hurts Pearson. I kind of see the Blue Jays being a year behind the Padres in my mind 
as far as when their contention window begins to open. They're not going to legitimately compete with the Rays and the Yankees in the AL East this year. They're probably not going to compete for a wild card slot when you have three good teams in the uh, AL Central, two good teams in the AL East, and uh, at least two good teams in the AL West. I kind of begin them seeing really pushing the envelope next year. And if we're playing in these restrictions that even if you get called up in September, you get a full year of service time this year, then I really think they might play Pearson conservatively, stretch him out in AAA this year, then give him a really good opportunity to break camp in their rotation next season. Matt, you and I have talked about we like Trent Thorne at the end of a rotation. They also have a few other rotational pieces that should start in the major leagues that they could turn to to make sure that Pearson gets that development he needs in AAA. I'll say two things. One, I think that if there's going to be any player that a team surprises us with, it's Pearson. But I agree with you, though. I think they hold back, especially for the guys you just mentioned, like Thornton. I think they're a year away. You want to see how the young hitters do, right? But you also want to see what you have in the rotation, which is definitely their weak spot. But they have some interesting guys. So rather than just force Pearson in there when maybe he's not ready and then start his service clock, try to see what you have with the rest of your guys so you can retool and go for it more uh, realistically next year. So I, I believe, yeah, moving. I think holding Pearson back is the move. What do you think, John? Yeah, I, I agree that that's probably what I think will happen. Even that being said, man, I, I, I'd like to, you know, get some shares because he's another guy, of course, if that announcement were made that he's a rotation guy, you know, there's like 200 plus picks immediately or 150 picks or whatever it is immediately. It's just going to be tough because, you know, everyone is drafting based off their own assumptions here. And I feel like one out of every 12 or 15 people, depending on the size of the league, is going to go in saying he's starting in the opening day rotation. And that person will be applying the new price. And I'm just not going to be able to own any of it. You know, he looks so electric as just a fan, man. It's hard to, you know, rationalize why a team would sit on somebody. But, of course, money rules the day, you know, such is life. So <laughs> I think we're – I can't see him coming up either. And, and if they got to September and needed him, I think they're just going to apologize to their fan base and say, we're not going to do it. You'll see him in, in April. Um, it will be it will be very interesting to see if there's a real need for a playoff team come the end of the year, whether that it makes a big deal. Like, again, this is this is the most confusing thing about the way that this is worded on how, you know, September 1st should equal full year service time. It doesn't seem like it should make sense, but that is the way it's written. You know, I mean, we'll see if that ends up being the absolute case. But as of right now, it's super strange. Uh, moving into the AL West, the uh, the Angels, obviously, Joe Adele one of the best prospects in baseball. When they traded for Jock Peterson the first time when it, you know, no longer a thing, I was super excited for many reasons. Park factor, him being able to play maybe every day. Uh, he, I thought he was going to be a monster there, and especially because Joe Adele was not going to be rushed up because he was brought up to AAA last year, and he just he was, he was awful. He, he batted 264, but with like a 30, over 32% strikeout rate, an ISO under 100. Uh, this this guy definitely, by the way, 264 with a 410 batting average for balls in play. Um, so this guy definitely needs more time in the minors. Um, I think that no matter what, I know they don't want to waste years of Mike Trout, um, but you know they, they have some usable people in the outfield. Obviously, everyone there will, will probably be really chanting for Adele to be up, but th this is someone I definitely think they should 
just hold off and wait until next year because I think he needs another – I think he needs more time in the minor leagues. Man, I, 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 uh, I'm going to have to admit a blind spot here. And, again, you know, it goes to me – you listen, you can't specialize in every aspect of this game. It's just too much. And, you know, I don't. I defer to people that know more than I do. And guys like Adele are really interesting for me because as, you know, again, admittedly, I'm not a minor league scout. You know, I'm more uh, scouting statistically, right? I'm fan graph scouting. I like to think I go a bit more. But even with that being said, I don't, I don't see the love affair. Um, you know, generally when you hear about guys that have this kind of push, you see – 38 home runs somewhere. You see 35 steals somewhere. And, like, I mean, there's a couple of strong OPS years. Can I have, a, can I have a, qu- a quick question? Have you, yeah, watched, have you, just, uh, have you yeah. watched Joe Adele? No, no. And, All I, right. no I, I think he's one of those guys where uh, you can't nec- – I, I know I just cited a bunch of stats why I want him held down, and that's mainly due to the rotation sucking and them. I don't think him being the last piece for them competing. Uh, but yeah, if watch some video of this kid and you'll 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 get the hype <laughs> just to back I him up. I don't I'm not down on Adele, I just think he's not ready. He's saying he's never had more than 20 home runs and he's never had more than three steals. You know, he hit 308 at one stop. I mean, it's just don't get me wrong, he has the makings of a of a decent player, but you brought up um, you know, in his last four stops, there's been a 30% pay rate, so that's part of the range of outcomes. Uh the walks look okay. But I just don't see, you know, there's these incredibly high Babbitts. So if this is an average guy with incredibly high Babbitt and there's no power and not a ton of steals, I'm not saying he's not going to be good. I'm not going to say that the hype is, is you know, not researched. I, I know I don't see it just on the stat page. <laughs> I don't know Ray well enough to know if he's triggered over there for some someone ripping down Joe Adele as a prospect guy. But <laughs> Ray, Ray, break no, down Joe I'm not. Adele. I'm not triggered at all. It's it's. <laughs> It is a very common argument, and John admitted it himself. He is basing most of his argument on looking at Adele's stat page, and you have mm-hmm. to, you do. If you only base your argument on Adele's fan graphs page, then you absolutely have to question why is this guy a top five prospect? I understand that argument completely. But as Matt said, it's a guy that I was able to watch in the Southern League last year, and I got to see him again at the Futures game in Cleveland. He's a guy that. You know, everyone in the prospect industry talks about just how good of a body Luis Robert has. And for me and for others as well, Joe Adele has an even better baseball body. I think he's going to be a guy. It is going to be a little bit more of a slow burn than we would like. I think even from a counting accounting stats standpoint, Luis Robert is going to be a guy that we get a little bit more of a return on investment earlier in his MLB career than with Adele. I kind of see Adele as someone who eventually we can kind of, the expectation is going to be someone who can hit anywhere from that 260 to 280 range with a good walk percent, which means he'll be even more valuable in OBP leagues. And I I fully believe that 30 home runs is going to kind of be the expectation for him once he becomes comfortable at the MLB level. Now, I definitely agree with Matt. It was really hard to watch even video of Adele last year once he got promoted to AAA because he was in the Pacific Coast League and I didn't see him in person after he got promoted. It was really hard to watch, even to look at the statistical sample, to watch the video and to not think, wow, he needs at least another probably close to a half year of development in AAA before the Angels are going to feel 
good about promoting him to the big league level. So under these kind of thresholds and restrictions that we're talking about as far as if a player gets called up in August or September, he's still going to get a full year. I kind of suspect the Angels are better off probably rolling with Brian Goodwin in right field. There was talk of David Fletcher seeing time in the outfield uh, and letting Adele get that seasoning and that experience in AAA that he needs. That way when he comes up, he can immediately be productive instead of kind of a black hole offensively that we see people with kind of an aggressive approach are more times than not. Yeah, and I, I think it said a lot when they did, again, trade that no longer exists. When they traded for Peterson, I think that kind of slipped their hand of what they, how they felt, how they were going to treat Adele. They obviously didn't, wouldn't trade for a guy like Peterson uh, if they thought Adele was going to be ready to go out of the box anyway. And you know, with the shortened season, I, I think that they definitely stick with that. Um, one thing, too, uh, I know we brought up the, the statistics of Adele. He never really spent a whole season across one level. So just to give an example, though, of how he did in a couple, he was on a well above like 25-20 pace with like a 300 batting average a couple places he is. So the, the potential is obviously there. But for all the reasons we said, uh, yeah, I think this is not going to be good for him. Uh, Rangers, is there anything interesting there? I mean, Selok's on the team no matter what. I mean, they don't have any – I don't think I'm missing anything there. That's kind of their story is what we've already seen. I think Solak has been penalized a little bit just because he's going to have to start the season as a utility-only player Mm -hmm. uh, from an eligibility standpoint. I like him in redraft leagues. I like him as a player. I think that someone who is super underrated is someone like a Joe Palumbo, Mm -hmm. uh, who I had in the VIP portion of my prospect list that was only sent to VIP members and not published on the site. I think the Rangers are going to need as much starting pitcher depth as possible. I think. A lot of people are going to think that that is Colby Allard. I think uh, Palumbo is a better pitcher, and I think he's going to get a little bit of run uh, this summer once the season starts. He's a guy that I can get. I think I got him in the 50th round of the last draft championship that I did. Not just a massive output, but someone who, in a pinch, you can plug into your uh, a DC rotation and feel decent about. Yeah. Um, moving on to the the Astros, they pretty much um, forced Whitley, I guess, is the main question mark there. A lot of people, you know, he struggled. He's been struggling mightily in the in the minors. Uh, there were still probably thoughts that he, if he got, a, got back on track, he'd be back maybe in Houston by maybe midseason. I think that's completely out the window, especially with all these, the service time. I think he's definitely earned himself a full, you know, whatever it is, season in the minors. Does anyone think Houston will be doing anything cute this year? No, I, I've I've struggled myself with Whitley. I've gotten whipsawed, overdrafting him, getting a zero. Then I thought I got value on him, and I got a zero. And now people are back on him, and I, I just can't. And you know, again, it's 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 something you just mentioned, Matt, with Adele, kind of trying to read between the lines as far as organizational moves. The Astros are filling in the back of the rotation, and it's he's not a part of it, right? So. It, that kind of tells me maybe all I need to know, right? Um, you know, Arkady gets this bump where now he's like a solid Astros pitcher, and he wasn't before. Josh James, same thing. Now, Josh James, like, locked into this rotation. is has all these high expectations. And now even, like, Austin Pruitt is getting run. I never even heard of Austin Pruitt before. I'm just being honest. I never heard of him before. So I would have never thought that with all these openings in this rotation that this guy that was getting touted as one of the best pitching prospects in the game is not even being considered. So 
I'm sure someone's going to like it more than I, I am. I, I don't even well, he know. Is in, he is interesting, though. Of anyone we talked about, the Houston Astros in the weird spot they're in with having their draft picks taken away uh, and only having this young core for so long. He In the Arizona Fall League, he did turn around a little bit. 288 ERA, 32 strikeouts, only nine walks in 25 innings. Obviously, small sample size. But they can't afford to start him on the team to start. But I think they're one of the few teams where if he's dominating in AAA – and they have a need, I think they're a team that would be more than willing to actually sacrifice this playing time if they have a need. So I think that there's very few teams that could theoretically do it. But I think if, if, if a need arises and it's late in the season and he's dominating, I think they could bite the bullet and give him a full year for two months of time and, and kind of go for it. I mean, that would depend on him getting back on his dominant path. But they're one of the few teams because of their weird situation where I could see them kind of biting the bullet here and, and, uh, and going with him. I agree. I agree with you. Go ahead, John. No, no, no. That's really it. I just feel like if they liked him at all, they've had more than enough opportunities to give him a a chance and it hasn't happened and it's still not happening. Right. So I'm, I'm having trouble, you know, reconciling the disparity of narratives between this highly touted prospect and Austin Pruitt starting for the Astros. That's pretty much it. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I think that the Astros concede the fact that in a perfect world, Forrest Whitley, especially the way that the season is going to be now, will spend most, if not all, of the season in AAA. But I do agree with Matt that, you know, Urquidy is not a sure thing. Josh James, as much as I like him, is not a sure thing. Austin Pruitt is certainly not a sure thing. And we also don't we don't know for sure that Justin Verlander is going to be 100% healthy. He had groin surgery. He also had, what, like a strained lat during spring training. Um, I could see, I think Whitley is certainly going to start in the minor leagues, and I just published a crystal ball projected prospect list for next season. I still have Force Whitley prospect eligible, which means he's not going to uh, exceed 50 innings pitch this year. But I do agree with the fact that if, Josh James loses his command like we've seen in years past. If Urquidy does not live up to expectations, if Verlander is not as healthy as we assume he's going to be, the Astros could, towards the home stretch of the regular season, say, okay, we have to have a starting pitcher. And they're just going to throw kind of the service time question by the wayside and say, okay, let's give Forrest Whitley some run. He's deserved it. And, of course, that, like you said, Matt, the, pre, the prelude to that would be him kind of getting back to the pitcher that we've seen in the past that we did not see last season. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of the more interesting things in the shortened season. The Astros, again, with the with their weird restrictions they're not dealing with, they can afford, or not afford to, maybe forced to, be a little more aggressive with their window because – you know who knows who they're going to be able to keep and sign, and uh, you know if they're if they're in a position, they're going to try to go for it here. Um, the Mariners, not much to speak of. There were some people that were really excited about Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kalinick, maybe um, jumping their way to the majors this year. Not happening. Doesn't not matter if they're batting six hundred. Um, they are in the minor leagues for the rest of the season. Is there anything on Seattle? Uh, if anything, I think this this really um, is uh, makes a guy like uh, I can't even think of his name off the top of my. Pitcher, uh, free, no, Jake Fraley. Okay, maybe more interesting because he's almost, you know, anyone who was interested in his speed, power, potential. I think now he's probably going to be getting a lot more at bats. Um, but um, 
in in general on the at least on the hitting side uh, i think you're kind of looking at the no not a lot of changes there uh for their offense throughout the rest rest of the season i think fraley i'm kind of I'm going to let someone else draft Fraley in all of my leagues. I kind of want to see him perform at the big league level before I invest myself too much, especially in fantasy. Mm -hmm. I also think – I do think this is going to help someone like a Justin Dunn, who is not an elite prospect. He was inside of my top 200. Uh, If he is going to get a full year of service time, regardless of when he begins pitching for Seattle this season, I think he's someone that you can kind of bring along from the get-go – Maybe not. I mean, he might be someone who flip flip flops back and forth between a long reliever and a starter. But there was really no doubt in my mind that he was going to play a role in Seattle at some point this season. So this might expedite his timeline just a little bit. They Mets made that horrible yeah. trade by giving away Jared Kalenic, and we just gave him Justin Dunn for free on top of it. So that just makes me sad. Um, I think as far <laughs> from, from me on the Mariners, you know, I, I had been watching Justin Dunn and man, as much as I, like, I did agree with Ray. I think I've pivoted from that after they brought in, uh, Marga Vicious in January. And I know he's not like a, you know, he's not really moving many needles, but I think if a spot opens up, especially if we're later in the year and they're, now we're talking about a non-competitive team, having to burn that service time on a last place finish. I think it makes more sense if it was my team that I'd be throwing Marga vicious out there. As far as the general outlook, I mean, the Mariners kind of put the youth forward already, right? Before people even were really ready for it, we were already hearing that we were going to get full doses of Kyle Lewis and Evan White and Jake Fraley. And then uh, to a lesser extent, my boy, Justice Sheffield uh, in the rotation. So I, I don't think they were ashamed of the youth, and I think it kind of goes to show you maybe what they were expecting of this season. And I I think it leaves Dunn on the outside looking in. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see them doing it, but more than likely, I think this is a one of those one of those teams. It's a wait and see year. They're putting out their non premium people to see what they can do. Um, and then maybe they'll, you know, and then they'll wait to maybe be more aggressive next season. We'll see. Uh, that leaves us to our last team, which, man, this went on a little longer than I thought. But I, I loved all the information we gave. We, we pretty much hit on every team. And that is the Oakland A's. Uh, there's not really <sighs> much in terms of service time to worry about here, to, to be honest. I mean, I mean, Lazardo is going to, you know, the innings limit's gone. So obviously we're excited about Lazardo. Uh, Montas is not obviously a prospect innings limit. Like it's pretty much a lot of innings limit stuff. Puck was going to be in the rotation if healthy, no matter what. Anyway, um, is there really what is there to speak of here, Ray? Uh, that maybe I'm not thinking of with the A's. It seems pretty straightforward. They're going to go with the crew they were going to go with, regardless, right? It does. I think, of course, everyone is going to point to uh, Lazardo no longer really having that innings restriction, just because the season is going to be shortened and condensed. I think that this really allows the arrow to point up point up on someone like AJ Puck. He was going to have a little bit of a shorter leash as far as uh, he was not going to be unable to underperform like Lazardo was and still maintain a spot in their rotation. Uh, Now with, you know, I'm assuming kind of like you, Matt, that teams are going to have to have more than five starting pitchers every two weeks or so just because of the doubleheaders and the lack of days off. 
I just think that this kind of increases the cushion that Puck gets. He's still not someone that I'm googly over from a redraft standpoint, but I do think this is going to allow him uh, a little bit more leeway than we would have seen under normal circumstances. I agree. Uh, anything? Uh, any any notes on the A's, John? Yes, I'm triggered right now. Don't <laughs> you don't know. Don't act like you don't know what you did, Matt. Don't act like you don't know. Uh, first of all, to the pitching side, uh, the A's and I kind of I'm gonna. This will be out in my article coming up, but I think the A's rotation is the biggest overall benefactor of the COVID situation. Guys that have high per inning, you know, efficacy with questions about volume now get huge bumps. So for me, that's Montas check, Lazardo check, and Puck check. So three guys that, you know, really had no chance of putting in a maximum amount of innings now have every chance to put in 100 innings. So those guys get a tremendous boost. The triggering I was talking about, Matt, is something I've been, oh, my God, it's been my ultimate boondoggle for this entire offseason, just absolutely drive me nuts, and it's the second base position in Oakland. I, I agree. I love I it. Can't believe, I can't believe that neither one of you guys picked up on this. I have drafted all of these guys in different places, in combinations, late in draft champions, hoping to hit on the starter. And then, like, I, you know, it was down to the strong three, right? So I had Franklin Barreto in the lead. Then I had, who has no options, mind you. Then I had um, Mateo right after him. He also has no options. And then to a lesser extent, somebody that my boy Prospect Jesus was talking about in Sheldon Noisy, uh, who has three options. So I think that probably discludes him from this conversation. But what I was getting at is there being a plethora of talent fighting for a single spot, all guys that have shined in the minors, the A's go out and sign Tony Kemp. It, my my brain was liquefying, pouring out of my earlobes, and I was trying to figure out what they were doing. I guess Kemp would be the only he'd be the only other lefty in the lineup besides Olson. I don't think he could hold on to it. And funny when Matt, when you told me we were having Ray, the very first thing I was thinking is, will he be able to bring some clarity to the second base situation in Oakland? So you've heard a little bit of me ranting and raving like a lunatic, Ray. Is there? Am I? Did I just miss completely? Like, is it not going to be any of those guys? Like, I literally have – I have so many shares of different combinations of Barreto and Mateo, Barreto, Mateo, and Noose, Barreto, and Noisy, and Pinder. You know what I mean? Just looking for that infield spot. Do you have anything for me or the other people that are driving well, Real quick, too. Marcus Simeon enters into this situation, too, because he will be a free agent. Obviously, if there's no season, he's a free agent right off the bat. But they know he's leaving. Therefore – Cutting a guy like Jorge Mateo becomes problematic because he they will lose him to waivers. He has no options. He they can't go, right. he can't go down. So they have to consider keeping him on just so they won't lose him and they'll need a replacement for Simeon next year. So there's a lot of cogs in the wheel here to decide for the A's. Yes, that was John. I really like the way that you worded it. You said uh, guys who had shined in the minors. We're talking about two former top 100 prospects with Franklin yeah. Moreno and Jorge Mateo. Uh, you know, if I if I had a if I had a gun to my head and I had to pick Chad Pinder, Tony Kemp, <laughs> I think I'm going with Tony freaking Kemp. I think oh, that I think you? that Jorge Mateo was going to make the team, in my opinion, probably in a bench role. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with Barreto, but you know, and maybe this. You know, I've been snagging a couple of shares of Tony Kemp 
at the very end of draft championship leagues. He has the second base outfield eligibility. He brings a much needed left-handed bat into the athletics lineup. Uh, of course, very minimal. He's not ever going to impress you from a tools or a skill standpoint. Uh, I don't. It is one of the most confusing things, and we thought that there would be a decent amount of clarity. Like you said, uh, Noisy has three options. I don't really think he's going to factor into this debate too much, but there was going to be the Mateo versus Barreto versus Pender fight in spring training, if you would, and then they go out and sign, sign Tony Kemp. And to me, you know, the the thing that I've taken the most out of in this podcast is when Matt made the comment, I think it was Matt, that the Angels kind of showed their hand in right field of what they wanted to do when they signed Jock Peterson. And that should speak to us as far as Joe Adele's viability in redraft leagues this season. I'm wondering if the athletics maybe showed a little bit of their hand as well when they signed a guy like Tony Kemp, maybe I have no inside information on the situation. Maybe I'm misreading the situation as well. I think that a guy like a Barreto and a Mateo, they all, they definitely give you more upside, especially offensively, even though we've seen Barreto really struggle at the big league level in the small samples that he's been given. But it is an extremely confusing uh, debate an extremely confusing positional battle. Like I said, if I had to bet money on someone, I think it's going to be Tony Kemp. In the end, I think they partially share uh, responsibilities at the position, but I feel safer with Tony Kemp because I think he makes the team no matter what than I do with any of the other three options, in my opinion. You know, it's funny. John said he was triggered by this, that I didn't bring it up. And then you're, you're excited because it's an it's it's a confusing situation. I didn't bring it up for one reason. I don't care. <laughs> I, in fantasy baseball, I think they did tip their hand when they signed Kemp, and that made me wash my hands of this entire situation. Who which who who am I drafting? I delete them from my draft board. I don't want any of them. This can be someone else's Rubik's cube to figure out. I don't want any part of this. Well, but Barreto was raking in spring training. You know, we put up 350 average. Hey, good for him, man. <laughs> and I mean, listen, Matt, I, I totally get what you're saying. But I'm listen, I'm very much, I'm always so price driven. So, you know, the numbers 562, 640, 700, and 726. What are those? Those are the ADPs of the four guys we're talking about. So to be able to find a player in a very good lineup like Oakland, you know, that's something you just can't really sneeze at if you hit on the right guy and get everyday plate appearances in that lineup, even if it is out of the nine hole. And I just thought I saw so much potential return, and then they just totally hit me with the uppercut and left me on the ground, you know. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what to think of it. I mean, listen, Ray could be right. and They just go with the very vanilla, non-offensive option in Kemp. But, you know, this is a guy who's got like a – man, I know his career WRC plus is sub 100. You know, it's 87. He's just not a very good hitter. I mean, are we dismissing the likely – just the the likely scenario of – it's probably not going to be one person. They're probably going to, you know, roll a dex through this, and it's just going to be a nightmare. Yeah, you might – yeah, you very well could be right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, some people, I just, some, some situations like, you know, the, uh, whatever the heck, uh, trying to pick a platoon player from the Rays, uh, infield or outfield. There's some things I just like to avoid in this, this yeah. situation is one of them. Uh, so yeah, that pretty much does it. We we've covered every single team, uh, Ray 
thank you so much for coming on. Uh, is there any prospects or anything that we uh, didn't cover throughout the show that um, that you would like to shine a light on any prospect or anyone that you think in this injury, you know, in this kind of weird shortened season that anyone should be aware of? Uh, I'll touch on a few going back to the Mariners. I think someone like an Evan white is safe from all this talk of bad teams being conservative with their prospects. Of course, you know that he signed a long-term contract with them during the offseason. I do think he is their everyday first baseman from opening day this summer. I also think Justice Justice Sheffield is going to be immune to kind of the suppression of prospects on bad teams. I think he was penciled into their rotation anyways. I really am super intrigued by him kind of adding the two-seam fastball to his arsenal, his four seam was absolutely horrific. Uh, it is in the first percentile as far as spin rate goes. When you factor in the fact he also doesn't throw that fast, though his four seam is just a horrendous pitch. I think the two seam is going to play better with his changeup and his slider, which are two really good pitches in his changeup and slider. So he's interesting to me. One more, a guy like a Kyle Wright with the Braves. You've got Cole Hamels will be back fully healthy. You've got Ian Anderson that you have to think about who probably probably factors in this year. Felix Hernandez is going to have his say. You've also got a Bryce Wilson who I'm no longer as high on as I used to be. But someone like Kyle Wright who ranked just outside of my top 100, he is major league ready. I think the way if we kind of condense and everything is kind of piled on top of each other and you need that six or seven starting pitchers every few weeks, of the 2020 regular season, he's someone at the end of a best ball or at the end of a draft championship league that I'm not afraid to throw a dart at just because I think the way that this season is going to be played out, he could have an impact uh, more so than what his draft day price tag uh, would kind of hint towards. Yeah, there's some good guys to bring up, uh, especially uh, one guy you brought up, Evan White. There are some people that um, – we, 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 I can't remember what we were talking about earlier. Basically, defense can kind of allow you to stick in the majors. Um, and uh, it was magical. Um, and he's definitely one of those people that, uh, and, and uh, so is Austin Hayes, where their defense plays so well that it's going to afford them a lot more time to stick around. Um, obviously, if they're going to be starting in the majors, they're going to stick, especially this year. But that's something that's going to afford them a little more time, which is always something to look out for when you're, you're trying to look for an edge in, in plate appearances. Yeah. One uh, one more, one more yeah. that just came to my head, yeah. especially in NFBC leagues, just because I know uh, John plays in them quite often. I think I'm oh. in 10, 10 NFBC leagues. Tyler Stevenson, a catcher prospect for the Reds, was someone yeah. who I was targeting as like my fourth pitcher in the very last few rounds. With the condensed season and the service time restrictions that we've talked about on this episode, I don't see him really having much of an impact. I think he plays this season in AAA. He is not very uh, roadblocked. There's only Tucker Barnhart that he has to deal with at the MLB level. I think we don't see him play a huge role at the big league level now until next season. I don't know if we mentioned him also. Uh, Joey Bart was someone that the Giants fans were hoping. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier or not. They, a lot of fans were hoping that he might make the jump this season. That is also thrown out the window as well. Yeah, I would assume so. Uh, John, any uh, any last words before we sign off? Nah, you know, again, I probably made most of my cases. I'm going to let other people pay for most of these prospects. The ones that I do like, uh, I find that I kind of pair them together. I mentioned that before. You know, somebody, Ray mentioned Kyle Wright, somebody I like, but I feel more comfortable when I could get him with Ian Anderson, let's say, and I try and kind of use two late picks 
to try and jam a flag into one potential starting role. Uh, he mentioned Stevenson, who I really like, and I always take if I already have gotten Bernhardt. On that same kind of note, um, it's another catcher. Matt, you know I love Will Smith on the Dodgers, and I know, especially in draft champions, I always make sure to draft Kybert Ruiz behind him, who's another really highly touted catching prospect. I actually and, drop his chances of me reaching the majors to zero. Well, yeah, I just – well, again, remember, I'm packaging him with Smith. So if Smith gives me a full year, I don't mind flushing that last. Yeah, it's kind of a just in case. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, no, right. I get that. I, I, this is just as pure before the season. Beautiful. I just think that he's one of those. He's one of those guys that sadly I think that is just like erased from the uh, the the entire roster. The Dodgers don't even bring him up. They're like, all right, we're not bringing him up ever, no matter what, right? Yep. All right, everyone agree, and then they yeah, close the book so? and throw it in the corner. If Smith blows a knee and his season's gone, I think you might see Ruiz. You know they. They're pushing forward too. I think, well, in my opinion, they would fit that. You know, they would fit those parameters of all right. We're competing. Maybe we didn't plan on burning the year, but what are we really going to be stubborn? Uh, you know, who's who's backing up there? Uh, Barnes, right? Yeah, hey, I, Russell, I, Russell I agree Martin, with John. I'm not. Russell I'm not Martin's overly high. <laughs> I'm not overly high on Ruiz, but in my opinion, Will Smith is kind of a little bit price inflated from a redraft standpoint. I don't mind taking a Ruiz in round 46 yeah, that's where you of go. a draft wow. championship league as a just-in-case, like a last-ditch, because it is very hard to win draft championship leagues if you're taking a zero from any position, especially catcher in a two-catcher league. So I, I definitely understand the thought process. I think John is more than willing to take a zero there if that means he gets a full season out of Will Smith. That's exactly yeah, yeah, right. I, I agree yeah. with that. That's that's a good point. Um so yeah, that does it for the uh, the. I don't know even what I'm going to title this show. The injury shortened uh, playing time, playing service time extravaganza. Uh, <laughs> so Ray, uh, can't thank you enough for joining us. It was a blast. Uh, let everyone know, you know, let everyone know you started a podcast this year. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Tell everyone about that. About you know the site, the different things you got coming up on there. Yeah. So prospects365.com continue continues to pump out new content. Uh, multiple articles a week. I just published a projected prospect list for 2021. Our staff writers are continuing to pump out new content every week. Uh, now I think I'm probably going to dive into a first-year player list for next season, perhaps even a dynasty rankings before we get actual baseball back. And, yeah, we're seven episodes into the Prospects 365 Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We've had a, a beginning to have on a lot of strong guests. We had on Ralph Lifshitz last week. We had on Matt Williams uh, this past weekend. John, I want to have you on here soon. Who's Matt? Uh, make sure that you vote for not only the Turn 2 podcast, but also the Prospects 365 Fantasy Baseball podcast in the second round of the Baseball Pods Bracketology. We probably should have brought that up two hours ago. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, if anybody made it through two hours of us, I hope they voted for us. Yeah, absolutely. John, where can everyone chase you down? You know, listen, I'm still writing baseball stuff at The Athletic. I have a monster article coming out. In they, haven't, they haven't fired you yet. Soon, yeah, I don't. Man, not only have they not fired me, I've actually been commissioned through the hiatus, which is pretty impressive. I don't know how it happened. I don't I don't know, man. I must have a brown spot on my nose that I can't – I don't see yet. But, yeah, I'm writing at The Athletic. Uh, home base is MLB moving averages on the Twitter machine. And, yes, vote for Turn 2 and Prospect 365 in the big bracket. We want to – smash that in the face of the people who think they're better than we are. 
Hey, John, yeah, right? um, there <laughs> is not a day, <laughs> John, there is not a day that goes by that I don't see, of course, we all see New York in the news right now. And every time I see New York in the news, my mind goes to you. So just okay. know that you and your family are well thought of. Yeah, we're all wishing you the best. Uh, and Matt we're all going to make it through this. Matt, Matt and I have, have, you know, gone through this on and off air and, you know, really kept it cool just to baseball. But, man, it's not just you, Ray. The out, I have gotten an outpouring of genuine emotion. People have offered to send things. It is amazing. And you know what, man? The way I love to help. It touches my heart that followers like help right back. So everyone that's reached out, including you, Ray, thank you very, very much. We're digging in and we're doing what we do, man. Time for, you know, we got to get together. I just stopped the stupid infighting. I can't believe people are focusing on that when there's a common goal. That's all I'm going to leave it at. Thank you. Yay, America. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> it's it's a confusing situation. Everyone knows. We, we try to put on some fun stuff to get everyone, uh, you know, take their mind off. We do trivia night. We do all sorts of stuff. And the idea is just to let, allow you to have fun. Someone commented, this is the most fun I had in three weeks. And that like meant so much to us because that's why we're doing this. We're just, we're just want everyone to just, you know, keep your head up. We're going to get through this together. Um, if you want to talk about baseball, you can always follow me on Twitter at Matt Williams, M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. Definitely follow the show at Turn2Pod. Follow Ray at Prospects365. Follow John at MLB Moving Average. Uh, so yeah, thank you for listening to the Turn2 Podcast. Definitely vote for Turn2 Podcast and Prospects365 and at Baseball Pods, Baseball Podcast Tournament. And we will be back next week. See everybody. My oh my. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turn two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X-Fippin' Whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it into points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. What it do? Win leaps Catch out Catch out